Due to the adult subject matter of the following program, some listeners may find the content offensive, outrageous, or unsuitable. You know, like religious freaks, uptight losers, or little wussy mama's boys. Please listen responsibly. You're listening to The Vocal Minority with Nick Reynolds and Steve Harness. <laughs> mm. Hot. How much time? You're on. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. That is good. You're on the air. How are you? You look awfully nice tonight. Maybe don't wear a bra next time. How much time until we're on? What? We're on the air right now. Oh. I'm ready. What? <laughs> Music was drowning out a little there. Today. Is it still too loud or what? No, you're fine, I guess. Uh, are we all loving this new modern look of women not wearing bras? I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this anymore, so I, I don't know how to answer that question right off the top of the show here. I'll, I'll I'm answer to that. talk about it. I, I'm, I'm a single guy. I am. I can. But I'll tell you what. I, <laughs> I don't even know I what you're referring it. to. This is an epidemic going on. Are you kidding me? It's yes. everywhere. Oh, it's the because pan- of the pandemic. No one wants to go back to wearing a bra. Nope. That's not why at all, dude. Oh, that's I what I've heard. You should know this because you've uh, you've got a younger person in your family that could start this new trend. I mean, younger women are not wearing bras. They're just not wearing them. They think that, well, they're women, dude. They don't have to wear a bra if they don't want to. Bruce, how are you aware of this trend me. if it's uh, affecting younger women only? Because I live in Boston <laughs> where we have an amazing amount of colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. You drive around this city and there are college girls everywhere. And also, I get them in my Uber, too, every okay. single night. That's fair. Listen, I can tell you that Hillary, my uh, adult companion, stopped wearing a bra <laughs> during COVID and has now essentially refused to put one back on. If it's a very Just at special- home. No, I'm talking in general. If she's got like a big meeting to go to or something, she'll, you know, pony up and put it on. Otherwise, <laughs> no, she's like boycotted those things. She's if you guys go like, out why to, did I ever wear one? If you go out to get drinks at a restaurant or something, she doesn't put a bra on? No, no, no. Wow. Nope. Interesting. Yeah. Well, all right. How anyway. do you feel about it? <laughs> Me personally? Yeah. I never totally understood the point of a bra in the first place. I mean, it's certainly uh, an obstruction for anything I'm trying to do uh, beyond that. <laughs> Unless they're bouncing off your kneecaps, I don't, I don't know. Let them be. It's always, I thought right. we thought it was for their support and comfort. And now I'm here to support and comfort. So, <clears throat> All right. Well, I got off on a tangent. Why don't we explain who we are and why we're here? Yeah, uh, those are all valid questions. Uh, we're back. Can I just say how good it feels to hear that show open <laughs> why did it make you feel excited inside i can't even tell you i mean here an anchorman there and into the corn song that was our show open for years and it always it, it's it's you know it's game time when i hear that thing going on and to uh to hear it again after all these years is uh it's motivational nick it's motivational Bruski, what's the date of our last uh show on the air i figure you'll know wow that's that's a really good question um you, do you know the year? 
2004. Uh, Factor bullcrap harness. No, nope. it was, it was, wrong. I don't know the date. It was the it was the last. Oh, no. it was the it last was, week in November 2005. 2005. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so here's the deal, everybody. We are, uh, we are. it may be hard to understand at this moment, but we're radio professionals that used to do a talk show that was the greatest talk show that never was. And I can explain that whole story momentarily. But uh, these three idiots you see on the screen here, we, we did a syndicated radio talk show, and uh, it went away, and now we've decided to bring it back. Yeah, we decided to bring. I think we decided to bring it back. Well, we were trying. I, I, I never wanted this show to be over, but uh, yeah. let's address that right away, Harness. Well, that's part of the story here. <laughs> all right, you moved away. We we all lived in Seattle, Washington, where yes. we did the show from. Yes, and you had a lot of responsibility, and you had to move away. Yeah, the show ended, and I wondered for a long time. Will the show ever come back? Will the show ever be back on the air? We put so much blood, sweat, and tears to getting the show on the air originally yes. from, you know, making our own studio, which was a lot damn harder back in the time that we did it. Yeah. L- let's explain all this because the answer to your question is something that has haunted me for years. And that phone call I made to you to tell you that I was having to leave was... I, it was painful. It still is. I still feel guilty about it. I still, I hate that it came to that, but here's, here, here's the setup. So we're all radio people and we all met in Seattle working for a, a company up there. And Nick and I, when we first met, we were at a, I don't know, an oldies classic rock kind of radio station. And I got hired as like some overnight DJ and they told me to show up and there'd be some guy there waiting for me to train me. And that person was, of course, the man Danny in the middle Holiday. of the Not Danny Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> no. It wasn't Danny Holiday. It was the legend Nick Reynolds himself. And Nick, I know I've told you this before, but when you and I first met, we were I immediately knew how extremely similar we were and that we would either have to become the best of friends or the worst of enemies. Thought the and, exact same thing. Yes. And as it turns out, obviously, we're still hanging out uh, 20-something years later, so... So, yeah, we started doing uh, radio in Seattle. We were working at this station, but then Nick and I would hang out on the overnights when I was doing my stuff, and we'd do, you know, off-air all of these phone calls, you know, people calling in the radio station, and we would, we would goof around with people, we'd interview people, we'd do all this stuff, and we made these tapes, started circulating around the radio station, and people were saying, like, hey, you guys are actually pretty funny. You should maybe do, like, a morning show or a talk show or something, right? Correct. And there were a lot of drugs involved, uh, and uh, so some we of which know. are legal now. I'll point out, but yes, most of which are legal now. Did we do any harder drugs? No, no, of course not. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there were a lot of people who said no, we you really guys should <laughs> bring the show to the air. No, we did not. I yeah. mean, uh, so we finally did it, and we started back on a radio station that was one hundred point seven, The Buzz. Yes, in and, Seattle. Uh, <clears throat> did our first show we only did one show before we got kicked off the first time right well here's the deal so nick and i were constantly harassing the program director there to give us a shot give us a shot give us a shot and we were playing we were sending this woman all the demo tapes and so she put us on on a friday night after tom like us <clears throat> and we got to do like a three-hour show and might i say for rookies that had never done it before we killed it we did very well and then we did 
nothing much came of it at that point, right? I think maybe we got one other shot, another time to fill in on something. But, you know, but now we had the real tapes from a real radio station doing the real talk show. So we then, within the company, found a talk station in a different market, Wichita, Kansas. Still love you. And <laughs> we approached that station and uh, told them we were in Seattle doing the show. They agreed to pick up the show. So Nick and I, in the year 2003, give or take, built a studio inside my house, which obviously nowadays home studios are commonplace, uh, but back then that was not at all, and the equipment needed was massive. We built a radio station in my freaking master bedroom, right? Yes. I mean, it was expensive. It, none of it was done over the Internet. Uh, no. The Internet was still new enough that we didn't have the technology. So everything was done over land lines and yeah, we you had know. isdn lines land we had our own uh, we had our own uh, toll-free number we had our own phone system multiple microphones and so we started broadcasting live saturday and sundays for this uh, talk station in wichita kansas KFH. and at that point yes kfh tony deucing love you still uh <laughs> he gave us our real first chance at that point brewski who by the way is our producer sidekick color commentator extraordinaire uh you were not with us at that point but uh, Nick and I started it going, and then, I don't know, a few months into it, uh, we were sending out demo tapes and a station in Baltimore, Maryland, slash Washington, D.C. area there, uh, they picked us up. Hot Talk. Yeah, we were part of, that was one of the CBS stations, the, mm -hmm. the Hot Talk stations they had back then, of which Howard Stern was on most of them, but not all of them. And this was, back then, this was its own little format of radio. Uh, the hot talk, as they called it, or shock jocks or whatever. And there were stations and all over the country. especially on FM. Yeah, it was right. an FM radio thing for the most part. So now we're doing our talk show Saturday and Sundays from the home studio. We're on in Wichita, Kansas. We're on in Baltimore, Maryland, which I didn't even realize at the time was basically Washington, D.C. It's the same market. It's like Pretty right. much. Yeah, exactly. So we were on in Washington, D.C., which was a top ten market. And then the guy that was running that station ended up getting hired by Intercom and coming to work for our company that we were still working with in Seattle. He called the program director there and said, hey, you've got this great up-and-coming talk show in your backyard. Like, why don't you get them on the buzz in Seattle, which is where we started at. That's Full correct. circle. Full so circle. then now we're on three stations. So we're on in Seattle, Washington, Wichita, Kansas, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, so we're perfectly hopscotching the country. And... We were syndicated at this point, which is usually the ultimate goal of a talk show. But we started off that way somehow, just because it's I don't I don't even know I don't even understand how we did that. But that is how we started. Grassroots, dude. Hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. Damn straight. And quite frankly, we were good. You know, I mean, back then we were in our, our early to mid twenties, and we were just going on, you know, piss and vinegar and Mountain Dew, and just you know, we were funny young guys and talented broadcasters but didn't have a lot of life experience but we were really good at the show and then ultimately what happened was intercom in seattle came to us and said hey why don't you drop all the other stuff and just come work for us full time we're going to be redoing the buzz you know into the next year and uh you know you guys will be on monday through friday you can be here in your hometown and we thought that was that was the dream right i mean that was the ultimate goal that was a dream. Well, we were, you know what, here's the truth of the matter is, is that you would think if we were syndicated in three markets like that, two of which were huge markets, yeah. that we would be making enough money to live off of. Yeah. <laughs> that, but that was not the case. So no. with that opportunity to go to the buzz, I mean, it was our hometown. We love the radio station. 
Uh, we didn't have to move all that stuff, but we were also going to start putting money in everyone's pockets because yes. for the most part, everyone had been working for free or losing money on this deal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we were we were burning hours trying to build it into a real show that would be sustainable Monday through Friday, and that was our dream. You know, Nick and I really wanted to do Good Talk Radio. Both huge Howard Stern fans, both fans of the format in general. And the buzz in Seattle was doing some really cool stuff. There were other local talk shows there, and it was a really hip station in Seattle. <clears throat> and then time went forward. We had a really good 2005, I guess. That was the year we were doing uh, the competitions with the other shows, yeah. and we broadcast from the Seahawks Stadium. Brewski, at some point in that window, we had lost, I think, two producers. One, because I embarrassed heavily. Uh, <laughs> two, because he became, I think, morally outraged by what Nick and I were doing at the time. And then more Brewski so you. Was the, well, yeah, probably more so me, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and then Brewski. I mean, you were kind of hanging around, and we started bringing you a little bit, but then we made you the, uh, the full-time, quote-unquote, producer. Is that yeah, right? so, yeah, exactly. So I, I was actually board-opping uh, the, the time slot just before you guys. It was all pre-recorded programming. Yeah, and then yeah. you, got, you guys would come in to do the show, and then I would go off and leave and all that. But Nick would have me record little bits here and there yep. every so often. That's right. Because you were the fiery we, Bostonian and that, uh, you know, we didn't have anything like that. And obviously we all got along off air. So you seemed like the perfect fit to slide in. Uh, yeah. And and I, had, I did that bit where I was selling concessions between the two studios. And that's where I was doing the cousin, the cousin yes. Brewski thing. Yes, that's and right. that's that's like a vendor and, at the ball games, right? Hot dogs, get your hot dogs here, Yeah. So yeah, so we had this amazing show going, right? And we actually had like rating success, which was part of the thing that caught the buzz off guard because like we were, they put us on a Saturday and there was no ratings on that station at all on Saturday, except all of a sudden when we came on. We went to number one in the entire market of Seattle. So the audience found us and tuned in for us. And that, and they did some focus groups and whatnot, and we kept coming up right there with the big Monday through Friday shows. So, yeah, everything seemed on track for us to go full-time, to do this, to build the show, to spend our careers and our lives being talk radio show hosts. We're breathing easy. For the first time in years, we're yes. breathing easy, saying, oh, Oh, it's all starting to pay off. Here it comes. Exactly. And then on December 1st, 2005, my alarm clock was always set to the buzz. And uh, my alarm clock went off and uh, freaking uh, Garth Brooks or something was playing Yeehaw! on there. <laughs> yes, it was. And I was actually there. I was actually working for one of the other morning shows when the whole thing went down. Yes. My point is, if you're not following the audience, uh, our station flip formats, which happens in the world of radio all too often. And it's a freaking cliche to say that it flipped to country music, but it did. Yep. Our talk yeah. station just went away. It became a country music station. And mm -hmm. some of the shows ended up going over to a rock station and doing sort of a music talk thing and lived on. Um, but we just all of a sudden, just one day, it was just it was just all gone. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the wolf came on the radio, and yeah. I mean, we were done. They literally, uh, I I was at the station, like I said, when it happened, and I walked in. I was working as a producer for the morning show at this station at that time, yeah. trying to make ends meet. Uh, they pull us off the air in the middle of the show and fired everybody, and I was included in that. 
And I remember looking at the program director. Can I say it? Well, the program Good director Dave. was Dave Fine. Richards. His Dave, name was whatever. Dave Richards. His address <laughs> is 758. Uh, uh, he, I looked at him after he fired the whole morning show, and I, he, and he was like, "Go ahead, get out." And and I was like, uh, "Oh, for the vocal minority too? Like I'm fired for the vocal minority?" Right. Because at that time they took people from the buzz, the talk station, and started putting them on KISW, which was the rock station in town. And I thought, "Oh, well, we may still have a chance here." Right. No, yes. we did no, not. He work. was like, "No, you're done. Get out. Get out." If you and I said, "Oh, we got to talk about this," and he said, "If you have any questions, you can talk to HR." Right. I said, "Really? Yeah." That's, wow. This is a radio cliche <laughs> that you show up for your air shift and somebody's already on air, or they pull you off while you're doing a broadcast and just fire you. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. I was not at the station, and so I started calling, like, "Hello, <laughs> like, do, what's going on? Do I still have a job?" And when Human Resources finally called me back, you got to remember, I was doing the, the talk show stuff with all of us, but I was also doing, like, you know, random board hopping work, street team stuff, like, just we random on, shit. We were on the street team together, you and I. Exactly. Random crap I was doing there at the station to get stuff done. And so I, I said to Human Resources, I'm like, okay, so I just lost my talk show. They're like, yep, sorry, those are the breaks. I'm like, well, what about my other job there? And it got silent and awkward. And then she, the, the woman was like, can I call you right back? <laughs> And I, it took like an hour, and she calls me back. She's like, so apparently um, we're not allowed to, I mean, we're not going to uh, terminate you from those other positions because they're not tied to that station. So I guess you still have a job here. But, you know, they stopped scheduling me hours, and they just kind of ushered Everything me out Everything dwindled really away. Brewski was the only one who stuck around for a while anyway. Well, well, so here's the thing. I was the one, actually, who had to push the button to kill the buzz and usher in the, the country music. Wow. I was ske- I was scheduled to be on the board that day because they were going to do a best of for BJ's show because they were going to be doing the big press conference about him taking over for Howard. Yes. And so we, we were playing a best of for BJ. And um, But they had that stupid countdown on that they put on when they knocked the other morning show off the air. Yeah. And... Um, and I was scheduled to be on the board. So then they were like, okay, well, here's here's the, the launch CD for the station. How you insulting. To... They I just feel like they did it on purpose, dude. <laughs> they were like, you know what? We're going to stick a needle in all these guys, right. and we're going to make one of their best friends do it. Well, right? wait, wait to hear this part. They actually told us that we would have the opportunity and I said it with air quotes, to interview for our jobs. This, this, is, a, this is the world of radio. I was just going to say, I mean, this is slimy. corporate radio right here. And, um, yeah, I guess we're trying to get away from all that nowadays. So you know, I, here's the I, thing. I don't, did we even say the name of this talk show yet? I guess our show opened did. But this is the vocal minority with Nick and Steve. And the idea of the vocal minority uh, it's not an ethnicity thing. It's, you know, the opposite of the silent majority. People that call radio stations and get involved, they are the minority, but they're very vocal, and they want to get involved. And that was the it's whole concept. minority, big baller. Exactly. That was the whole concept for our show, that we went through the pain in the ass to get a talk show, and now we're going to loan it out to you, meaning you can call in, you can email us, like, get vocal, give us your opinion on topics. We discuss news, we discuss current events, pop culture, we discuss crazy things that happened to us on the way to work that day. Just life in general, right? I exactly. Mean, the whole this... concept of the original show is is that we wanted to feel like a drop-in where some buddies are hanging out, 
spending a Friday night drinking or whatever, and you pop in the bar, and we're just having a conversation. And that's how the show is going. That's how we will pick the show back up and carry it forward. Exactly. And sometimes we discuss serious topics, news-oriented things. Other times it was like, hey, where's the craziest place you ever threw up at? And we'd take calls and emails and people would share stories. Like Nick said, it's like guys sitting around a bar because sometimes you you discuss Roe v. Wade and sometimes you discuss where I, you know, crap my pants at when I was, you know, 15 or, or last week or whatever. So we cover a variety of topics and the whole idea is that the audience has a chance to get involved and we're going to be doing that again with this as well. But today you're kind of listening to our practice show, our uh, Dust Off the Cobwebs. We're testing out our new studio setups. We have not done this show in 16 years. So there's a little bit of uh, dusting that's going to uh, be required. And there's a lot of life that has happened in the last 16 years, which I feel the audience needs to know. This will be a good show for you guys to get to know us. Everything about us. That was kind of Steve's idea. Is like, hey, for the first show, we just kind of pick up where we left off, which was so many years ago that uh, there has been a lot of life changes that we'll go over. And, yeah, we'll kind of reveal ourselves. That's the other thing on this program. And that's one thing, like, Steve and I knew this all along, but bringing Brewski in on the whole uh, program and the idea of the program, it's why you were embraced, Brewski, is because uh, it's all honesty on this show. And we touch deep topics, and they're not always comfortable for all of us on the program, but the authenticity of the program is, I think, what makes it very listenable and engaging. So uh, we're still in that spot. We will be real with you. We will keep it real. We will keep it honest embarrassing or not um you know i i have this theory that most like conservative talk show hosts for example are not really that conservative they're playing a character you know that audience is a little bit gullible and so they they ham it up you know they put on a front and that is not what we are doing no you're 100 percent right dude and especially like with how polarized the uh, world is right now, you know, you see a lot, a lot of videos that we didn't see when we did this show originally. Like, social media is obviously taken way off, which makes us sound yeah. like antiques on one level. But yeah. uh, Tucker Carlson, we, we had a MySpace page. <laughs> we did have a MySpace page, dude. Uh, Tucker Carlson is one of those guys that just, uh, it just boggles my mind that that guy is... Uh, ultra conservative and everything have you seen him in public with people going up to him and and recording him how no. oh, well, he is he's... different but he'll pop into character right away yes. i mean he's an asshole all the time uh but he's not as uh i i don't think he's a subscribes to all the topics that he covers no. on his program and you can se. even see it like with someone like sean hannity and this whole trump insurrection thing which we'll get to that near the end of our updated timeline like he was texting him off air saying like this does not look good we got to stop this stuff like this is gonna that's not what he was saying on air and by Correct. the way nobody's ever 100 percent on one thing and conservatives always pretend to be 100 percent on the same you know page and that right there shows that they're insincere so my point is, we will keep it real and honest. There is a bit of a reality radio aspect to this whole thing because we documented our lives back then. And the same thing is going to pick up now, but for like better or for worse. Yeah, exactly. But there's a there's a 16 year gap in our last update. So yeah, I thought this would be a good chance for everyone to uh, get to know us. And well, where do we want to start off? We've uh, covered where we left off. Where do we want to start? Well, so, yeah, we ended at the end of 2005. So, first of all, George W. Bush was the president at that time. Just put yourself back in that mindset. Right? Yes. 
And is, you know, back then, I remember thinking that W was just the worst possible president that we could ever have. No way could we do worse than this guy. And we hated him, dude. Oh, we, we railed on him all the time. I had a book going of reasons I hated George W. Bush so that mm-hmm. when I was on air, if someone called me, I'd just be like, here's number one, here's number two, here's number three. Like, And, of course, in modern era, I now think back on W. fondly as, boy, I would take him any day. <laughs> Those were the good old days. But, yeah. Um, you know, after Trump, he's, he, he was seen running on a screen screaming, I'm free, I'm free, I'm no longer the worst president ever. Right. Yeah, I guess Trump did do him that favor. He's not the biggest moron anymore to have sat in the White House. So, yeah, that's how far things have come. Obama? Who even knew who that was then? He was some young senator from Illinois at that point. Yeah, who knew? Uh, well, in my personal opinion, that he would be uh, one of the greatest presidents the world had ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Two times. Yeah. Yeah. Repeat offender. <laughs> so, yeah, so here's the deal. Uh, we, Yeah, so we ended at the end of November 2005. I think my most personal update happened just right after that. So, oh, j- that's right. Oh, January yeah. 2006, uh, we had been off the air at that point for maybe six weeks, right? And Nick and I were... We weren't giving up on this. You know, we had all this history and demo. So we were actively, and we had an agent at the time, which was, you know, mind-blowing for us, a well-connected guy. So Mr. he was- Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. We might be calling you again one day. <laughs> so, you know, Mr. Anderson was out there trying to find us gigs, and we were sending out demos. But the, the, the reality was that format of radio was imploding because Howard Stern left and went to satellite radio. And the whole Janet Jackson nip slip at the Super Bowl got the FCC all in a tizzy, advertisers in a tizzy. So over the course of that year, the stations that did our sort of talk radio started imploding. And we, we, you know, we spent a year trying to find a job, but it, it didn't pan out. But before that, so back in January, I was working some crap part-time job. Um, I came home from work, and my fiancé at the time, Jamie, uh, sitting on the couch, and she's like, hey, Harness, because she called me Harness. Uh, we need to talk. Yeah. Uh, she went to the doctor, and uh, turns out uh, she was pregnant. So, first <laughs> mind-blowing thing, right? Yeah, like, holy I crap. Know, yeah. I'm going to be a dad. And I hey, dude, what did you think? Slow down for a minute. What did you think when you first heard that news? Because you were not ready by any stretch of the imagination well first of all i had been envisioning that sort of conversation since i was like 18 of somebody telling me like hey by the way (laughs) yeah (laughs) what and so my first thought was wow it's finally happened um we had this (laughs) we had this moment of you know do we keep it or not but we were already engaged and we knew we were getting married we knew we wanted to have kids so that whole notion went away very quickly because how could you get married and then know that you had given up your first kid, you know? So we just immediately were like, you know, we're keeping the kid. Like, we got to do the right thing here. Uh, we should probably get married before, you know, we actually have the kid. So, but we got to go to Babies R Us and we got to paint a nursery. We got to blah, 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 blah. I started thinking of all these 5,000 things that have to get done and that I and only we're like, have. slow down, Harness. You got time. I know. You I was thinking time. I only have like seven or eight months to get this done. Like, that's nothing. Oh, my God. So, so Jamie tells me like, um, you know, the doctor did sort of a, just a basic exterior exam and he thinks I I might actually be a few months along. I'm thinking like, Oh my God, like three or four months (laughs) pregnant. Like good. That means we only have like five or six months. Like that's insanity. Yeah. 
So she's like, we got a, an ultrasound scheduled for tomorrow. So we're going to go and we'll, we'll get the whole story. So our heads are just spinning. You know, there's a bit of excitement, a bit of nausea, like, holy crap, are we ready to be parents? Which nobody is, by the way. But um, so we go to this ultrasound the next day and the tech gets, uh, you know, the paddle up there and gets the image on the screen. And the tech looks at us and is like, um, how far along did your uh, doctor say you are? And we were like, I don't know, you know, three or four months, maybe. The tech's like, uh-huh, um, you look like you're about eight months pregnant. Whoa. Which, dude, uh, let me just, I mean, I'm sure most people had this as, <laughs> as a first thought. I was like, there's, there's no way. I mean, mm. there's no way. First of all, yeah. Jamie didn't look like she was pregnant, even, you know, obviously I was seeing her with clothes on, but to me, she didn't look pregnant at all. No. And we'd been smoking crack for the last eight months. <laughs> right. Mainly so free I basic. Hoping. I hear that's organic and healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember. Yes, we we were there for Thanksgiving. My girlfriend at the time, Jen and I, were at your house for Thanksgiving. We all got together, and I mean, Jamie seemed kind of tired, but I mean, around the holidays, everybody gets that. In hindsight, though, right? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing: she had actually gone to the doctor a couple of times over that eight month window. And I could just go back and punch that guy in the nuts because she would come in and say, well, I mean, I'm feeling run down and nauseous. And he's like, you know, are you on birth control? And she said, yes, I am. He said, okay, well, can't be pregnancy then. Let's move on to the next thing. Never oh. tested. Never took oh. it in. As if birth control can never fail. That's never happened in the history of birth control. So it wasn't until she came back for the second or third time where he's like, oh, maybe we should do a birth, you know, a pregnancy test. And <clears throat> sure enough. And Jamie was always, you know, a, a, a curvy blonde. She, you know, uh, full-figured, not overweight by any means, but she, you know, her weight fluctuated. And she had lost a bunch of weight. And then over those eight months, she was gaining a little back, but not noticeable. And, you know, she, her belly wasn't sticking out. I mean, everyone's asked this question, like, how does a woman not know? And she honestly started crying when she heard it was eight months because she felt terrible. How could I have not known? And the sure. doctor said, listen, you know, little girl, like you've never been pregnant before. Like, that's how you don't know. And birth control messes with your period. And she wasn't getting that. And, oh, it must be the birth control. Like, you know, just all of this, you know, must be something else. Must be something. You write it off, right? Yes. I mean, uh, since this has come out or since it's happened, yeah. uh, I had never heard of it at the time. Now there's TV shows yes. about it. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, so it happens a lot more than we think that it does. Our doctor back then said at least once a year this happens. He says normally it's six or seven months along. Eh, eight months is pretty far, but, uh, you know, it does happen. So yeah. now here we are. I'm freshly unemployed, lost the talk show. I just found out not only are we pregnant, but the baby's going to be due in about four weeks. So instead of the four or five months or seven or eight months I thought I had, now we're down to a couple <laughs> of weeks. So, I mean. I remember the phone call. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah. I, you know, when I, I got the phone I call, <laughs> uh, you probably don't, but I remember like where I was in my house. I remember the time of day it was. Uh, yeah. I remember it all because. I could just hear the fear in your voice. I mean, your voice was <laughs> yes. shaky, dude. I yeah. mean, it was like you were calling to tell me because you wanted me to know. But, I mean, I don't think it had completely even sunk in with you yet. No, no. Nor I don't even know how it could have. So, so yeah. So, we uh, we wanted to get married. So, we, uh, we slapped together like a, a sitcom, a, a backyard wedding. 
and some of our family couldn't be there. So our thought was none of our family should be there then if some of them can't be. So we only invited our, our closest friends in Seattle, which happens to include the both of you were in my <laughs> wedding, in my backyard. And uh, Ooh, Nick, I mean, Brewski wore a, a tuxedo T-shirt to your wedding, <laughs> which I'll never oh, forgive. Who would do that? That would be kind of yeah, yeah. in poor taste, right? <laughs> it might be. It might be. To, to uh, listen, I was the one yeah. who had the tuxedo T-shirt on, yeah. but I'm going to be honest with you. It You've was apologized. tucked in, dude. It, it was, was tucked, tucked in. in. <laughs> yeah, Nick, wore, Nick wore a tuxedo T-shirt to my wedding, <laughs> and uh, you did later apologize. It took you some time, but you realized in hindsight, like, maybe that wasn't the classiest move. But I don't know. <laughs> I, was, I, thought, it, I thought it was funny. So Yeah, I did. That's why, that's why it took me some time is because I didn't think Harness really minded. I thought more he was catching grief from his now wife. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and so, you know, to make things even just crazier. So we got married on February 10th or 11th. And uh, my daughter was born February 20th. Now, we did the usual thing on the wedding night and fooled around. And that started contractions. So poor Jamie was in contractions for a week. Wow. Just, you know, we went to the hospital several times. They kept telling us, like, you know, you're jarring things loose, but you're not ready. <laughs> we almost wow. thought my kid was going to be born on my birthday, which is February 18th, but it lasted two more days. So February 20th, uh, my uh, my daughter Haley was born. Were you rooting for it, Steve? Was I rooting for her? Not rooting for her to happen on your birthday. Oh, uh, yeah, kind of. I, I thought that would have been cool, you know, yeah. to, to share the birthday. But, you know, yeah. she probably wouldn't have, you know, as she got older <laughs> in life. So yeah, okay. it worked out how it needed to. And um, But then, you know, things got even more complicated because, you know, I'll, I'll give you the short version. But about four or five days after Haley was born, I came home and I asked Jamie, like, what is this big, like, bruise that's on the side of her face? Like, did she roll off the changing table or something? And long story short, we go to the doctor, and uh, my daughter was born with a, a type of birth defect. It was a, uh, it's a, called a hemangioma. It's a non-cancerous tumor, and it can grow anywhere on the body, and it can grow internally, it can grow externally, and these things can cause problems if they get big. Now, our doctor scared the crap out of us by showing us a picture with this kid that had, like, the size of a freaking watermelon on the side of their head. So here we are, brand new parents, just married, just lost the talk show, now have a child, and the child has a serious medical problem. So we start going to the children's hospital. She had to get steroid injections once a week directly into this tumor, which, you know, kept her up all night. She wasn't eating food, wasn't digesting. So the whole first year of her life was just... I mean, we weren't sleeping. The kid was being, you know, tortured, for lack of a better term. And it drove me to the brink of bankruptcy because I had lost my health insurance when we lost everything. And I started putting all the medical bills on my credit card. And that reached a point of fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 where the monthly payments on my credit card were now infinitely more than I was making. Yeah. Right. So here we are. This is now a year later. And we've been trying to get the vocal minority back on the air. Hasn't been happening. We're, you know, neither Jamie or I were from Seattle, so we had no family around. And we reached this point. We all had the flu one day. The, 
Jamie and I and Haley. We were all. I remember it, dude. That was the breaking point. It was. It was the breaking point. We just realized, like, we we can't do this alone. Like, we need family around us. We need people to help us. We need people to be part of this process. Uh, I can't get this talk show back on the air to save our lives. I can't get any real radio job here in Seattle. So that was the day that I called Nick and said, like, yeah, I got to go. I got to move. You know, I, I can't keep doing this. And, uh, yeah, I felt immensely guilty. I felt like I was the one that was, you know, putting a stake in the heart of this whole show that we've been building up and uh, ruining my chance at having some career that I could actually afford a family and kid and all that stuff. And So, yeah, I said uh, I got to move. felt guilty, dude. I mean, we all knew. I mean, we were all watching the struggle. And, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you even remember that. Do you even remember that conversation? Uh, you and I talking? Yeah. No, I remember I remember calling you. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I remember the traumatic part. I remember calling you and having to man up and tell you, like, <laughs> right. I got to move. Yeah, and back yeah. in those days, the technology didn't exist for us to be doing a talk show like this in separate studios. All three yeah. of us right now are in separate states, and that that wasn't really possible back then. And, and no one was looking to take the show. We couldn't find a morning show. You know, we... we we had become branded as shock jocks. So then, you know, some morning show didn't want us or all of our demos were based on that. So we, we just hit rock bottom. Yeah. We just couldn't do it personally or professionally. So had to leave, move from Seattle. And I felt like, yeah, like I was just uh, killing this talk show permanently. Well, you moved on to other responsibilities. I think it's just called growing up, right? (laughs) You know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. When you called, obviously I was bummed, but I wasn't bummed for me. I was bummed for all of us, you know, uh, and it was, I mean, it was the writing on the wall. And to be honest with you, it was probably the right move because who knows how long we would have spun our wheels anyway. Brewski was dying financially. I was dying financially. We were all in financial ruins so i mean it was probably the right move and it just so happened to be so you could give your daughter and wife at the time a better life you know yeah so talk about high to low i mean a year prior we were all doing our talk show living the dream getting ready to go full time and then we just got hammered over the freaking head then well and in that same time period I was when I got all my bad news with my health. I was just like, oh, this is all just raining down on us, dude. Yeah. Uh, so Do you want to share how your 2006 time. was? <laughs> uh, yeah, my 2006 started fantastic, obviously, with all the show stuff. But uh, no, that's oh, 05. Oh, oh, 05. Yeah. Yeah. So 2006. Uh, I am in a different relationship than I am now. And I thought it was, you know, it was pretty solid at the time. We're still great friends, but, uh, I started, I started getting sick and I thought it was because we were just working so hard, dude. I mean, we were working late, sleeping very little and it never stopped. So uh, the first uh, symptom of this whole thing was, is I was hanging out one night and I was like, oh shit, I cannot see. I mean, I can see, but I see two of everything, dude. I cannot see what's going on in like normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was actually driving into work when I really started to notice it, which was, I was on the freeway and I was like, I'm having a really hard time seeing. And then I had to go in and do a radio radio shift. Yeah, you get like tunnel vision, right? Wasn't that what it was? 
it was double vision. So I was seeing two of everything and I didn't really start to notice it until there were lights uh, blinking in the I-90 bridge because they were doing cleaning in there. And my eyes couldn't keep up with the lights. So everything just Mm -hmm. looked like I was tripping out on acid. Yeah. So to make a long story short, uh, go through that, and uh, they didn't know what it was. I mean, at the time, they thought I had a brain tumor, and uh, they were doing MRIs, which are not nearly as good as they are now. You know, it was still like the x-ray machine that they, you know, they put up the big plastic sheet on the light box and look at it, and, you know, they couldn't see nearly as good, so... They're like, no, we don't see a tumor or anything in there. We're just going to wait it out for a while. So I had that for like three and a half or four months before it started to heal. And I had to wear these weird glasses. I don't know if you remember that, but it had like a weird piece that would hopefully help me see a little bit better. So go through that, goes away. And I'm like, oh, good. I'm in the clear, dude. It was just something weird, right? Something and, ate. No big yeah, deal. something like this. Yeah, I must have. Uh, I, you know what? Actually, I thought I pinched a nerve. I, that was what I reduced it to. I was like, I mm. pinched a nerve of sorts. So goes on and on. And to make a long story short, uh, I wake up one morning and the entire side of my left body is numb. I can't feel, you know, anything on the entire side of my left body. Now I'm freaking out. So I go back to the doctor. They're like, yeah, you must have pinched a nerve or something. It's crazy. And it took about four months for it to get right. Woke up another morning and the whole right side of my body had gone numb. I was like, this is fucking ridiculous, dude. I mean, I was scared, obviously, but I was like, we've got to figure out what this is. So finally, they sent me into the hospital to go see a, neuro- a neurological specialist. And uh, they finally, well, they diagnosed me with multiple sclerosis, which at the time I was like, oh, I finally got an answer which gave me some sort of relief. Yeah. But then I switch in right away to, That's you know, not a good answer. Thinking what I know about the disease, which at the time was very little, right? I just yeah. knew all, all the horror story sides of it. So all that shit starts going through your head. So like as far as headspace goes at 2006, I mean, we were both bad yes. spot for trying to figure out where, where we were going in life and what we were going to do. No kidding. I don't uh, know what karma we did to deserve any of this figure out out how I was going to deal with all of that, you know? Yes. So Nick's got MS. So. I, I, you know, go ahead. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So we're dealing with all of that, and then the show implodes, and, uh, you know, Steve's going to move. So like I said, it was kind of the best time for you to probably pull the plug. Uh, you probably did me a favor, dude. I don't know. I, I, It's not like I hadn't thought about it, right? It was yeah. that it was difficult to man up and talk about, like, what needed to be done was, you know, probably this. But at the time, I also wondered... Well, you had to be near family, which the closest family to you was Lake Tahoe. And that was where your wife at the time was from. Uh, I also wondered how friendship-wise and professionally we would survive that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, all those questions going through our head. This is depressing the shit out of me to listen to our story (laughs) right now. (laughs) I got to tell you. Jeez. 
Someone make a movie out. Copyright, okay? Like, <laughs> and by to... the way, this is the tip of the freaking iceberg. I got so much more on my list. You guys are going to You got anything, Ruski? Anything devastating? That was your 0506, Ruski. I was fortunate that I got a call after everything happened with the buzz. And I got a call from a local radio station and asked if I wanted to talk to them about coming on to their morning show. Yes, because we made you famous in that town. So yeah, uh, well, you did, <laughs> or infamous, one of the two. <laughs> well, and the th- and the thing about it is, is that the first two weeks on that show, we would get so many calls on that show, and they would say, "Hey, can I talk to Brusky?" Brusky, 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 Brusky. I love it. And so and and so um, so my producing partner at the time was this girl from ESPN. This is a sports station, by the way. And mm-hmm. she's just like, you know, what? Well, you, you have a lot of people calling and asking to talk to you. And then the host of the show st- hits me and talk back. He's like, what the hell's going on over there? And I was just like, oh, well, you know, some folks from, you know, my old, our, my old show want to talk to me and everything. Uh, sort of thing. <laughs> so we come, back from, we come back from break. And uh, so Mitch decides to ask me about it on the air. And you know, sometimes they always say, "Don't ask questions you want you, you don't want the answer to." Right. Yes. Yeah. So we he specialize asked, in that. Yes. Well, he, he, <laughs> he asked my, he asked my producer partner at the time, Lex, how many how many of these calls are coming in that want to talk to and what he called me Schmitty, but uh, and uh, and he's she's just like, uh, well, we have twelve phone lines and probably about seven or eight of them uh, yeah, on a regular yeah. basis. Want to talk to you? Want to talk to him? Or at least just say. Say hi to him, and they want to talk to him on the air. And, Damn and, it, dude! And, and I was like, Do you see so... what we had started, people? <laughs> yeah, that's what I, it's just painful. Damn it! It really uh, is. Steve found the uh, old uh, uh, focus group CD that they uh, that we hijacked from the, the Buzz. They did a focus group on it. Yeah, he's holding it up right there. <laughs> and uh, speaking of things, uh, don't listen. To, you know, don't ask questions you don't want the answers to. We went in to listen to this whole focus group, and I'm like, oh, man, this could be painful because usually when you do a focus group, there's things people hate, there's things people yes. love, but, you know, or they don't a radio know who you show. Are. Right. And a radio show, for the most part, is usually, even if they turn out to be successful, in early focus groups especially, are going to get hated on. People yes. are going to be like, yeah, I don't like those people, blah, blah, blah. And it's but common in radio choice. for people to complain about stuff. That's what the vocal minority really is, the people that call the station and complain. They'll always call you and tell you something sucks. They rarely ever call you and say something is awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when they do, you should uh, probably put it up on a top shelf in gold. <laughs> so we decide to listen to this focus group. And uh, I I don't remember. I mean, I know there was some bad on there, but I would say that like 85, 90 percent of it was like really gold material, yeah. like even recommending us to replace other shows on the radio station. Yeah, that focus group was part of what got us the offer to come full time there. Because right. the management, Dave, I don't know, didn't seem to be a big fan of us. He was kind of putting up with us. But then the audience was just forcing themselves to, they're forcing themselves on us in the station to say, like, no, we really like this Nick and Steve, the vocal minority thing. And 
And yeah, so this is what I mean, like the greatest talk show that ever was. We had all of this stuff going in our favor. Even Brewski here goes to another talk show and they just want to talk to Brewski. I mean, it's <laughs> it was crazy. And then, you know, like we said, it all got derailed. Um, I had to uh, I had to leave Seattle. I um, I moved to Lake Tahoe, which was not the worst place in the world to move to. But, you know, I was completely defeated. And uh, started over at a, at a radio station there, basically. Yeah, and started over with a whole new family, no friend group. I mean, uh, yeah, it was a big move for sure. And now you're a new dad and uh, trying to get your daughter over a health issue. So, yeah, it was a big time. Yeah. But uh, things started going well, right? Yeah, so, you know, I show up in Tahoe, and there is literally, like, two radio stations there. And one of them was, like, this kind of adult rock station. And I show up with my uh, my resume from Seattle and Wichita and Baltimore and all my experience. And at that time, I was doing uh, syndicated ski reports out of my home studio. So I was doing Alpine. like yes, I was doing like twenty <laughs> different radio stations throughout the ski season. So this little small town radio station immediately, like I kid you not, I dropped my resume off, and within thirty minutes, the general manager called me and said, "Come on back. Tell, we're not hiring, but you tell us what, what you want to do, and we'll we'll find a job for you here." So, you know, I started off as the, uh, the midday guy. And then uh, over the years, it actually didn't take very long. I was midday, then I became program director, uh, ops manager, general manager, and, you know, further on down the line. I don't want to get too far ahead of my timeline, but <laughs> I landed in small market radio in paradise and uh, just kind of, I kind of checked out. I stopped paying attention to what the rest of the radio world was doing. I, uh, I did struggle to keep touch with all my friends, you guys included, and yeah, I was just hyper-focused on trying to be a, a dad and, you know, get the kid through all these, you know, medical issues and and not go crazy and not have my wife and I kill each other because we were broke. When I moved here, I ran out of money like halfway between Seattle and Northern California. Like literally, I had no money. I, I remember being in a uh, drive-through line at McDonald's, and they declined my uh, my debit card. I couldn't even buy a freaking cheeseburger. I had to call, you know, my dad. I had to call my uh, wife's parents, and somebody, please, you know, get me a hotel. Can somebody? <laughs> I'm starving. If I show up at a gas station, will you call and put the gas on your car? Like I have to, I have to finish this move. So I showed up in Lake Tahoe, just completely broke, completely defeated from everything that had gone on. Uh, but yeah, so life moves forward. So that would have been through, I guess, 2007 at that point. Yeah. Anyone yeah. else have any 07 highlights before we move on? Bruski, you got to have something from 07. When did you, uh, how, when did you, uh, leave your relationship, dude? How old were you? Oh, that, that wasn't until 2013. All With right. you and Jen, you stayed together that long? Yeah, unfortunately so. We probably should have caught <laughs> Well, here's the thing. So uh, It's I'm... easy in hindsight. I get it. Yeah. No, no, well, but it, but here's the thing. So one of the it was probably 2006. I'm I'm working at the sports station and uh, that's when I I got my dog. That was when I got Penelope. And uh one day I'm at the park in Seattle and Jen comes to me after work and meets me at the park because I brought Penelope to work with me every day. And uh, she says, hey, don't you think that you might be happier if you were with someone else that, that liked what you liked and that sort of thing? Ouch, yeah. And uh, Yeah, and by that point, we had, we had bought a house in Tacoma, so just south of Seattle. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and so I was just like, 
So oh, you're no. living, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Living together, yeah. you bought a house, you got a dog together, and then yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then and then here she goes and drops that on me. And in hindsight, I should have just said, "Yeah, no problem. I could have gotten an apartment up in Seattle, worked by the radio station, kept the dog, and would have been fine." But we stayed together another seven years. Wow. Which was, to be honest, at least six years too long, <laughs> if not longer. <laughs> um. Sounds like it was and, eight years too long, actually. Oh, believe me, it was. We 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 just weren't right for each other. We just this is one of those things. We were yeah. good as friends, but awful as a couple. It's hard, dude. When you, uh, well, I mean, I could say this for my relationship with Heather was a thirteen-year relationship, and uh, it's hard when you love somebody as a friend to find a way out of it that doesn't demolish everything you have together as like for I and I know you felt this way about Jen to a certain degree where like you guys were she was your best friend I mean oh we were we were absolute so tight we really were we were so different from each other but yeah. to, but to me that's what made it even more fun sure you know because she wasn't a metal fan but I got her listening to Maiden and Priest and everything to the point where I would do stuff like uh, like if we were making like egg salad, I would I would sing egg slasa and she would come up with a high pitched background saying egg slasa and I wouldn't even have to ask her to do it. Yeah. All the good old days, dude. Yeah. All the good old days. But but I, I didn't have to even ask her to do it. Like I would do it and then she would jump in and and do her part of it. Without me even asking. That's what so, I'm saying, dude. Yeah. The peanut butter to your jelly. It's hard to split the sandwich uh, when all the elements aren't working, but there are some that are so good. They call it now in these times we're living in. You were living as roommates. Yes. You were living as friends, and Parallel that's exactly lives. what uh, that's exactly what Heather and I had become. You know, we were great friends who happened to be roommates. We slept in the same bed. We just didn't hardly ever have sex. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was just I, just yeah. a, a, a roommate-style relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, and here's, here's another question for you guys real quick, and this is on that relationship thing. Sure. Please. Did you, did you have problems kind of explaining to who you were involved with and Steve's case married to about radio and, like, how the business worked, how you could lose a job just that quick? Because mm -hmm. Jen... When I when we got fired that day and and I came home from work, she was like, "How do they just fire you? You know, and and what do you do going forward? Are, are you going to have a job? What what do you what's going on? Because we were living in a, an apartment in Seattle when we all got fired, and um, and it's funny because I talked to one of the well the the show that used to that came on at nighttime at the at the buzz, and one of the members of that show said to me. You can say it. The men's room? Oh, Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah the men's room, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and um, Miles said to me one time, he said, you know what? I've been trying to explain to my girlfriend of 15 years what radio was like and what the financial um, realities are of radio, and she still doesn't get it even 15 years later. Yeah. I think it's a hard thing for anybody uh, that's yeah. not in the business to understand. I was lucky in that aspect of uh, when I was with Heather uh, she, I was with her before I got my first job in radio. So she had kind of come this full journey with me and understood as I was growing in radio what radio was like and about. But I remember Jen being really hard on you 
uh, for, you know, the money you made or didn't make and, you know, getting tossed around and stuff. Uh, I think that's pretty common. I didn't, and I don't know how Jamie was with you, Steve, but he, he, her too, you kind of introduced her to that world of radio, and she was kind of living in it for a while. You yeah. Know? Yeah. When we first met, you and I had just started the syndicated version of the vocal minority. So she came in as this thing was all launching. And there's old tape somewhere of us talking about this girl, I met a match.com, which was a brand new website back then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, our whole relationship unfolding. I remember one of the first things I did was I showed her the movie Private Parts with Howard Stern. And the scene yeah. at the gas station where he's telling his wife, like, I've got to just be real. I got to stop. I don't want to be one of these DJs moving all over. I got to be true. I got to, you know, put all my dirty yeah. laundry out there. And I showed her that. And I was like, this is what I am living right now. And if you are not okay with that, then it's been great. And she embraced it. And like Nick said, like, you know, the, the original talk show was out of my house and Jamie was living there at that time. So she was around all of us constantly and probably saw it from a little different perspective. But even her, like once everything blew up, it wasn't quite computing. Like, well, how come someone else isn't going to hire you? Or, you know, why can't we move to, to wherever and take a job there? And it, it's hard. It, it's a hard concept that most people don't understand about radio, that there is no freaking job security. You can lose your job at the drop of a hat. Even if you've been the morning show for 20 years, you may lose your job because you've been the morning show for 20 years and we want something new now. So go away. Listen, dude, I had, uh, I was telling somebody this, uh, we were at a law conference this past weekend and, you know, uh, my wife's an attorney and those people always ask me, oh, you're in radio, you're in radio. Tell me all about what it's like. <laughs> oh, I do an annoying level. Right. Yeah. And I'm having this conversation with somebody this weekend and I was saying how easy it was to be fired and how many times I've been fired and let go. Uh, and how a lot of these firings came with no animosity. It's just business, right? It's time to go. Yeah. So much as though that I have been uh, fired and hired by the by one person. Yeah. I had the same guy fire me twice and hire me twice. Yeah. Uh, and that's not uncommon in radio. No. You usually don't get fired for fault. It's not like you showed up to work drunk or something. It was just, right. It's a format issue or a program, whatever it is. And they taught me in broadcasting school, you're not a real DJ until you've been fired at least once. So yeah. we're all bona fide DJs, let me tell <laughs> right. you. Something. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you saying that, that's exactly what they told us the first day of broadcasting school. Yeah. yeah, nobody in this business till you've been fired at least once. Yeah, for sure. You know what, and, and it's really, it is, it's hard to get fired in a sense because... Uh, I worked with men who masturbated and slept at the radio station, you know, yeah, all me. this kind of weird stuff uh, <laughs> that they never got fired for. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I knew people who left drugs in the studio and they never got fired for it. You know? That might have been me. But, <laughs> the, you know, substance abuse and nudity and all of these yeah. things that in a normal workplace would be completely insane was commonplace in radio. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 a horse of a different color, and it's one that's kind of burned me out. So yes, kind of for sure. Which for is it. why we're on the interwebs. When I first heard a podcast, dude, I was like, "Come on, amateurs, let's do this." Yeah, yeah this is a real to. radio. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> and here that's we true. are today. Well, and back then, it, podcasting was in its infancy, and it yes. has just exploded over these years. And the reason there is no good new talk radio talent. 
because a the industry is not fostering it they're not hiring new people they're not you know cultivating new talent but also because it's so much easier to go to podcasting you don't have the fcc to worry about you don't have a dave richards to worry about an intercom that's a corporation publicly traded they don't want to deal with shock jocks country radio is much safer so everything has migrated to the internet and I'm ready to break free. Hallelujah. Like, be done <laughs> yes. with all of that. And I, see why, the- I see why Stern was so delighted to go to satellite radio because yes. a, a lot of it wasn't even the freedom of just 100% being able to say exactly what you wanted and curse and all of that stuff. It was just to be free from yes. the boot that is corporate radio these days. You know? Yep, absolutely. Well, if, if you notice, by the way, the, the first... Like for the first few months when Stern was on satellite, like they all swore a lot because it was a new novelty sort of thing. Sure, yes, but then, new but then, toy. But then, yeah, but once they kind of got that worked out of there, then it was kind of like, okay, a swear might slip out here and there. Yeah. But it wasn't like when they first got there and they were like, oh my God, we can say whatever the hell we want. Yeah. We can say fuck and shit and we can call someone a cunt if we want. And like, <laughs> you know? At some point in time it just became let's just talk how we talk regularly. Right. Exactly. Stern would have gone to podcasting if he had delayed it but you know he went to satellite radio and he is the foundation of that whole thing so they've treated him well and he essentially is podcasting there but um, that that's where everything was headed towards. Yes. So, little did we know we were sticking this show on a shelf and waiting for uh, the time to uh, rebirth it. But, but I digress. Let's go back to uh, 2009. That's where I'm. Oh wait, let me see what's on my historical timeline. Oh, for, here's a fun one. 2007. You know what was introduced? The iPhone. 2007. Yes, the iPhone was introduced in 2007. I was telling Nick before we went on that when we did this talk show, I didn't even have a cell phone. I didn't have to mute my phone or ignore texts whenever we did the show before. And yeah. I was I was late uh, to the game getting a cell phone, but the well, iPhone I, that was a, I'm with that you. Was I didn't have one either. Yeah. I had a cell phone, but there wasn't a way to mute it. You just had to turn it off. Right, throw it out the window, basically. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, iPhones. I our talk show predates iPhones, kids. Okay, <laughs> just to make that's you feel right. Old. Step right up. Step right up. Ridiculous. Okay, so 2008, we already mentioned this, but yes, Obama, finally, uh, a a light of hope, a a president that spoke in complete sentences, gave us affordable health care, killed bin Laden, had no uh, controversies, tragedies, didn't cheat on his wife, uh, Uh, just a a breath of fresh air. He did wear a tan suit, dude. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, that was terrible. That was his biggest controversy. And he did not look good in it, I will admit, but... That was a golden era, and we didn't realize how good we had it. I remember when that guy won. I literally stood up and was just like, yes, like I voted for you. I've been fighting for you. You did it. And it just felt good to have a, a competent president, not even, oh. even understanding where things well, were going to go after that. It just felt good at that time. Well, and it know, also, I mean, it was also uh, fantastic that we had uh, the first African-American president. I mean, uh, it yeah, felt like things were going to be changing, you know? Yeah, racism yeah. was over, everyone. Got that solved. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, if you listen to conservative talk radio, they'll tell you that. They'll say, well, well they can't be racism anymore. We had right. a black president. Yeah. The, the, like, that, like that was going to clean it all up, you know? No, it's interesting. Made, made things worse, quite frankly, because that happens. The pendulum, you know, you get a victory one way, the other side swings it the other way. Well, it's interesting too because uh, you know I, I think it's probably 
probably safe to say that like all of us probably have some sort of uh, conservative folks in our family somewhere. Uh, one of them happens to be uh, one of my best friends who's my brother. And uh, we couldn't be further across the political uh, line. And he always tells me, oh, do you have any idea how divisive President Obama was? Ah, and, and it always makes me laugh, dude. And, and again, it's, it's hard to hear from him because I love him and I respect him in, in most ways. Uh, but I, I just I, I can't comprehend that. I cannot comprehend somebody saying that where I never thought he was divisive in any way. I thought he was so inclusive well, and. Now, if he rubbed you the wrong way, I suppose that made you feel divided. But uh, you have to ask yourself, why was he rubbing you the wrong way? 100 percent. Yeah, exactly. So because he is uh, espousing beliefs that people should be more inclusive, that people who didn't once have a seat at the table should have a seat at the table. Well, the people who are already been sitting at the table, they don't like that. They like they like for you to be away from the table and just take the scraps that they're going to throw off the table to you and and be happy with what you get. This is a topic we're probably going to be discussing a lot on the show as we move forward in the real format. Again, this is sort of our practice show, get to know us and testing everything out. But I, I will never understand you know, I'm a proud liberal and people always, there's a faction out there that try to accuse us of being radical somehow, as if wanting to treat people fairly is radical, believing in science is radical. Like I have always argued that liberalism is just logic. Give me a, a, an issue. I will look at the logical side of it. And that tends to be the liberal side somehow. 100%. No, no religion, no no fairy tales out of a book written two thousand right. years ago. Yes. You know, not 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 nothing like that at all. No. But I'll tell you what, though. With that said, Bruski, I mean, even with being a liberal, it is it is inclusive for everybody to have that choice of what they want to do as far as religion goes. Like, doesn't affect me go for it dude doesn't hurt me personally that you're doing it go for it i don't care what you do as long as you're not harming others go for it dude no matter what it is exactly yeah i'm living in a a conservative neck of the woods nowadays i live in the i I moved from tahoe we'll get there eventually but i'm in a uh, i'm in the rural corner of california there's a bunch of farms around here one farm has a sign that they like had professionally made up. It wasn't just some handwritten sign. It says, discourage liberal intolerance, violence, and hate. And I've got to pull over one day and say, can you give me an example of liberal violence, intolerance, and hate? Because I'm intolerant of your ignorance, or I hate your backwoods ways. Is that what you're referring to? They're going to point to Antifa and all these groups that they have somehow deemed as liberal folks. Right. Uh, you know. How them well, proud boys treating you. I think the other part of that is that they say that we don't stand for, quote, traditional American values, end quote. And they'll, they'll, all, they'll also tell you. But exactly. But then they'll also but they'll also tell you how things were so great back in the good old days of the 50s and that sort of thing. And then I say, what, when people when women barely had the right to do anything at all, have a checking account in their own name? Yeah. For who? Who are they good for? That's the question. And most of the people that say that weren't alive in the 50s or were in their infancy. It's just some nostalgic picture they have in their head that was never real. Exactly. No. Yeah. No. 
It's right. apple pie and baseball. Yeah. Little like racism. Who cares? Right. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> yes. We'll discuss more of this as we move forward, I, I assure you. And this is part of the vocal minority. Like, I would like to talk to some people who are on that side of things. I would really like to try to get below the surface. Because as I've learned, Nick, anger is not the primary emotion. It's a secondary emotion. So what's the first one? You know, are you sad? Are you hurt? Like, what is it about America that you think is bad that triggers all of this anger? Because we're supposed to be a progressive country, an accepting, tolerant, melting pot. Everyone's welcome. That's what America is supposed to be. And somehow you've tainted it to be something that is not that at all. So. You've we'll been hurt. The- you uh, you summed it up perfectly, dude. They have been hurt and done wrong in some way, and it's just like the story of the boy being bullied at school that your father says, you know what, go and give him a punch in the old nose and put an end to it. Yeah. I just don't understand what is so scary about minorities becoming more involved in society or gay people getting married or accepting science is real. Like, What is scary or off-putting about that to you? Not it's a huge, uh, it's a huge conversation, you know, that we'll have to have sometime. Right. But I know that uh, for one thing, from from what I gather in my readings, people are very afraid of white people, white straight people, especially men, becoming the minority in this country. And I hate to tell you, but that's where we're heading. Uh, you know, uh, that will be very true in our lifetime, in the three of us well, and sitting it's here. It'll be here in our on. lifetime. Take Why some is of the burden off issue? us white men. We've been heavy lifting for <laughs> so long, okay? I'm ready well, to at, hand it over. Oh, God. You know, at, at, at the same time, though, some of the people who want to, who are the most vocal about these things, will come at you with the, like, like this, this past weekend, as a matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned this. I had a passenger in my Uber car um, complaining about uh, cis white males, as in cisgender white males. Sure, yes. And I'm uh, sitting in I'm sitting in the car right there. I'm driving them along, and <laughs> and 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 then she she looks at me and at one point she's just like, you know, uh, you know, uh, like you, you're probably a cis white male. And I was just like, what? What did what, you say? And then she's just like, "You weren't listening to me." And I just said, "Typical I'm... white male." And, yes. And I and I said, "Listen, you know what? My mind's got to be on the road here. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, really. I said, it's it's what it's one thirty in the morning. You know, there are drunk drivers out here. I got to get you home safe." And then she was like, "Okay, whatever." And then she yeah. went back to talking to her friend about it. But it's it's that kind of thing where yeah. it's just I'm all for inclu- inclusivity. But when you start like throwing that crap around and you're throwing it at someone who's doing his job and driving you home and you want to start attacking me because you're pissed at somebody who might have been inappropriate with you at a bar. Talk to that guy, not me. So much conversation to have. This is a whole other topic that, yes, we will get into. And Obama, speaking of him, brought it up recently. The uh, the liberal firing squad. You know, those of us that are pretty much aligned have to stop picking on each other for not being pure enough. And this yes. is a debate I've had with my own uh, offspring and, uh, you know, plenty of friends that uh, if you're attacking me, you, you've you overshot way too far because <laughs> I'm on your side. So you're okay. expecting us to be a mirror and yeah. that cannot happen, dude. Let's no, exactly. Relax a little bit. Here. All right. So moving forward, 2009, first of all, some of us were late to the game, but more or less somewhere around 0809, Facebook became a big thing. Uh- 
You were late to the game, dude. I was. And I joined yeah. in like 09. I know some of you were 07, 08-ish. But it was around that era that Facebook yeah. became a thing. Something yeah. that is now so omnipresent in our lives. Again, it makes me feel old. But yes, kids, we were around. Changes our world forever, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I did a Google search for us the other day for the vocal minority with Nick and Steve, and our MySpace page came up. Nothing is there. It just is a blank page. <laughs> like, they got rid of the content, but... That's how far back it goes. And, yeah, Facebook was a new thing. Hey, so, that's hysterical. By the way, do you, do you think Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook because he didn't have any friends and he needed friends, so he created this product to get friends? Pretty much. Possibility, yeah. I mean, it was first about rating hot chicks, right? That was yeah, the Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. And he I, was I a college that, kid I, in Boston. This is Boston's fault. You understand that, right, Brewski? He was at Harvard, which is Cambridge, and it's it's it's, it's Boston's fault. Different. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. I'll I'm take just trying it. to get Brewski fired up. That's all. Sorry. Yeah. Oh. You know, Brewski, you're my only friend, <laughs> and certainly my only coworker slash employee or whatever that has ever threatened to kick my ass on more than one occasion. <laughs> my my dad. and it is so Bostonian of you. Oh, back up for a second, dude. Back up. What yeah. do you mean? I I, oh. I remember Brewski threatening you one time, but did it happen more than once? It happened twice. Oh, the, okay. the most famous one was the buzz in the in the station vehicle. We all remember this, right? Oh, oh no, no, yeah. We were going to a, a promotional event. We were done. We were wrapping up. Was oh. I there? Yeah, yeah. We did. We did. It was a vocal minority night at some bar in Seattle, and the whole show yeah. went down there. We were hosting, you know, drinking games and throwing out T-shirts and whatever. Oh, and I don't even remember what happened, but when we left the event, I don't know if we were all snipping at each other or what happened, but we got all of us into the <laughs> station vehicle, and... I snapped at Brewski about something, and he pulled a freaking donut in the parking lot of the I remember this. of the client that we just left in the station vehicle, decorated <laughs> with the buzz, and he's you know doing a peel out out there, and I started you know, I yelled something at him, and he was just like. <laughs> You want to fucking go? You want to fucking fight, man? <laughs> like, Ruski, take it down a notch. No, I want to not get us all fired or arrested. Or like, oh, that's, that's just the Bostonian. Dude. And then there was some fight in the uh, in the bus studios where the same thing. We were ta- arguing about a show prep topic or something. He's just like, you want to go? You want to go right now? <laughs> hey, dude, no. Oh, my no, I, gosh, I don't want to, dude. actually. It's so. so funny, dude. You get to a place in your adult life where you don't think you'll <laughs> fight anymore like we'll just have a conversation and we may yell at each other but like we're not gonna we're not gonna fight each other but now here's the thing i i actually will admit that i had one other incident in radio after the vocal minority <laughs> where i threatened somebody nice and but their life and, i don't feel special no 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 but but i will <laughs> but I, I i will say the two with steve were, yeah. com- were completely like inappropriate and that sort of thing. The the one the one at the sports station, completely yeah, he had inappropriate. Yeah, because he was getting in the face of my producer partner. Um, she was uh, and she was crying, and he was getting in her face. And this is the the host of the show. What'd you say to him, dude? Was it Mitch? Yes, it was Mitch. What'd you say to him? I told him that if he didn't get out of her face and get into the studio immediately, that. I didn't care if we were on the air. I was going, and I had fists up ready to go. I was going to stop beating on his ass right there. <laughs> and Bruce I actually stop. 
Oh, Brewski. 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 And and I got pulled into the PD's office after the show. Man, did they man. fire you? No, right? They did not. And <laughs> I explained, but I explained what happened and how inappropriate it was. And um, you were defending a woman's honor. Brewski, yeah. when is the last time you laid your hands on anyone? Mm, good question. Oh, oh, well, I did have to. Uh, what was it uh, during the pandemic? I did have to physically throw someone out of my car, uh, an Uber passenger. Wow, <laughs> physically, did? you dragged them, drugged them out of the car. I had to. Wow, I had to. Well, because Why? He, well, he was he was he was a anti-vaxxer, anti-masker, and he was uh, yelling at me, uh, you know, why are you wearing a mask? And so I, but I'm also wearing a mask at this point that looks like a lucha wrestling mask. Right? <laughs> That's very brusky as well. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I like that that was your mask. Dude, is, is it the, the one that I gave you? Uh, no, this, there you go. It's, it's, a, it's one similar to this right here. Those All of you right. watching our video on YouTube can see brusky right now. So anyway, um, so I'm wearing a mask like that, and um, handmade, by the way, by a lovely shop in Tijuana, Mexico. Of course. Uh, Yeah. And so, but he's like hassling me, and he sees my mask, and he's like, oh, you think you're a tough guy because you're wearing a wrestling mask? (laughs) So I put the car in park, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to have to ask you to get out of my car. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not getting out. You're you're giving me a ride home. I canceled his ride on Uber, and I said, listen, I just canceled your ride, and you got a complete refund. Get out of my car. F you, F you, you know, fuck off and all that sort of thing. So I got out of the car, I opened the door, and he literally went on his back like a turtle instead of trying to kick me with his feet. Wow. Wow. I yeah. love it, dude. dude Did do you, you grab his ankles? What's that? Do you, you know, videotape I, these people? I should, actually. You should, I to, yes. I, I, I have to put a camera in my car, actually, um, both for the passengers and also for while I'm driving. Because I had an accident with a drunk driver uh, back in January, yeah. which, oh, yeah, guy was wasted. Dude, I, content too, so. I will buy you a dash cam. No, no, I, you... I, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get one for the car. Yeah, for sure. Will you give us the material? Absolutely. And you know what's funny is I actually got asked one time by a group of really hot chicks when I got in the car. And they said, uh, are you filming us? And I was like, no, well, well, why do you ask? And they said, oh, our last Uber, you know, he was filming it. And he said he uploads the videos onto YouTube. And I just flippantly, it, which I don't know, I don't do this because you don't want to get reported to Uber. But I was like, why? What would you do if the camera was right was there? Would you like flash it or something? And one of the <laughs> girls was like, yeah, probably. You know, I have a really great set of tits. And I looked at him like, you know what? They actually look pretty good for your oh shirt at least. Oh, my gosh. You were horny that night, dude. <laughs> uh, no. Well, you know, I mean, I'm at a little that bit. Age. I'm at that age. What can I say? You know. Hey, what I'm... do you mean you're at that age? <laughs> You've been at said. that age. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see him? No, 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 no. Um, but it was just, but it, but it's just funny because they assume that I was filming them. So I need to put that in the car, mm-hmm. um, especially since my new car for Uber, because I've just bought a car in June for specifically for Uber, is a very large. Uh, SUV. It's a Ford Flex, and there's plenty of space in there for the camera to film. So, you know. nice. get that going, Bruski. Yeah, yeah. I got that going, and, and then we we can put that up on on, uh, on the show and something. But yes, anyway, it, it's rare. It's rare when it happens. All right, all right. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. So what was uh, that's 2009. Um, oh, I have another uh, serious life event from 09 and a fun. I story think I got that. married in 09 too. Did was I? that the year? I was going to say. I think so. Yeah. Wow. It's so funny. When we signed off, neither of us was married. Nobody had kids on the show. I mean, we were <laughs> such juveniles. And then life just caught up to us all in significant speed. How many years ago was 2009? 13. Oh, I maybe I got married in 2008. I got married in 2008. In you November of 2008. Yeah, okay. I did. That's what I'm telling you right now. You How'd that go down? Did. How did you propose? I don't know if I've ever heard this story. Uh... I proposed in a fantastic way. Okay, yeah. uh, were legal documents all, uh, required for this? No, it was not. Okay, so first of all, I should probably back up and say that my wife is—I've known her since we went to second grade together, yeah. and we went all the way through, you know, graduation together. Nick's got uh, pictures of him and Rachel, like in yeah, second grade class together. It's so cool. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we never dated in high school, and uh, after we both got out of high school, we went our separate ways of, uh, she she joined the Army, and she was married once before. I mean, so uh, I had gotten out of this long relationship that I was uh, talking about earlier, and uh, living by myself, and I saw her on MySpace. Funny enough, right? And uh, started talking to her, and I invited her to a Seahawks game because I know she likes football. So I was like, "Oh, we should go to the Seahawks game together." So we ended up going to the Seahawks game together, and not to be a big downer, but at the time, her dad was like days from death. Uh, she had moved back home from California to take care of her dad uh, before he passed away. So she almost didn't go on that date, and her dad was like, no, you need a break. Get out. Go. Oh, have some fun. So she went out on the date with me, and then we started hanging out after that. Um, and then her dad passed away. And at the same time, my dad was sick and dying. So I guess we just sort of bonded very quickly, you know, because we were both kind of going through the same type of thing. Um, and we had all that history together, so it was just that much easier, you know. We knew all the same old people. We knew, you know, we just, it was easy to talk to each other. So uh, when it came to proposing, though, uh, I had bought a ring, and when it came from the jeweler, was like, oh, it's ready to be picked up. So I went and picked it up, and we were living together at the time. And uh, I was like, oh, I just don't know if I can wait. I had all these grand ideas of how I would propose. But that ring was just like burning a hole in my pocket. I just wanted to ask her very, very quickly. <laughs> you know, I, and I don't know why, other than I was just excited to make her my wife, you know. But uh, my proposal story was uh, we went to the gym. Uh, I had the ring in my pocket. Uh, after the gym, we were sweaty, and we went to Azteca, mm-hmm. across from the old radio station we used to work at. Yeah, I remember oh. well. Had some uh, had some Mexican food, and we were on our way back home. Sweaty, gassy. Okay, sweaty, this is a good gassy. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is perfect, dude. Uh, and uh, yeah, I instead of asking her to marry me, I was trying to throw her off, and I was like, "Oh, you know what?" When I do ask you to marry me, I mean, I think it would just be most important that you knew that you were my best friend, you know, that I care about you more than anything. 
and I kept adding on to this. Like, I'd really want you to know this. I'd really want you to know that. Right. And we were driving, and uh, I was like, oh, you should pull over here real quick. So she pulls over, and she still has no idea at this point what's going on, other than I'm acting really odd. Because this is really out of character for me. And yes, we had pull just over finished, real quick. Sorry. Like, beans and everything else. And uh, yeah, I just asked her on the side of the road. I asked her on the really? side of the road. Oh, like Jim and Pam. Like Jim and Pam, dude. It was sort of, uh, yeah, it was sort of like that. I mean, and uh, then after it was all over, I was like, oh, man, maybe I should have maybe I should have waited and done that uh, thing that I was thinking about. No, that's <laughs> hey, cool. I like but that. Here we are. I mean, we're married. It's been 14 years or whatever, so I think yeah. that uh, it's going all right. Yeah, so far so good. Well, that's and besides, good. besides, take it to like Daniel's Broiler or something. That's just really cliche. You did something yeah. original. Yes, I did something original. It was the Ramos family, dude. Yeah. I supported the Ramos family. <laughs> uh, in 09, I expanded my family as well. That was the year uh, uh, Jamie came to me and we basically started talking about, you know, if we're ever going to have a second kid, we should probably get this going because we didn't want too big of a gap between, uh, you know, the firstborn and the secondborn. Mm -hmm. So unlike the first time, which, uh, as I explained earlier, was a complete surprise, this one we actually planned out. We uh, set forth Mm -hmm. on the mission. And it was funny because we assumed... We got pregnant so easily the first time that obviously... Go easy. That's right, baby. It would be, <laughs> it would be sleazy and easy. But it wasn't. We, uh, we, we tried a couple of times one month and figured that, uh, yeah, that'll do it. Uh, and then test came back negative, not pregnant. So now we were determined. We were like, there is no way in hell we are not going to get pregnant. So we had sex every day for 30 days straight. And it's kind of like, you know, you envision... Like, I love chocolate ice cream, so I would love chocolate ice cream every day, right? But eventually you start throwing up when you do that. And I've always had this fantasy that, you know, I want sex every day. Every day or I will not be a happy man. That 30 days broke me. After about 20-something <laughs> days, 20-something days in, I'm just like, I got to catch my breath. Like, can we just, you know, can we take a few days off? It taught me a valuable life lesson, kids, that uh, sometimes your eyes are bigger than your body parts or whatever. Like my, I don't my even pers- know how you did it. Well, there was some video taken. If you want me, to <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't. You know, I think you know how we did it. Well, I mean, I know how you did it, <laughs> but I mean, I I'm curious to know that, like, after day twenty, where you're like, fuck this oh, again. There was no like romance involved. No candles were lit or anything. <laughs> it was just like we got five minutes. Let's go. You know, make a deposit here, and. Um, <laughs> I will say I was exhausted by the end of it. I did learn a valuable lesson that you don't need sex every single day of the week. But after 30 days, hallelujah, it happened. She was pregnant. 30 easy days days and get your life back. Yeah, exactly. Do you know which pump it was on? I mean, do you know? There is no way to know. There was way too much going on there to uh, dissect it any further. Funny thing was, shortly after that, we had not told anybody. And I... I uh, took a phone call from somebody told me about a medium in Australia, a psychic that they had Mm. talked to and just swore up and down about this guy is like the real deal. And I told them it was a, it was a relative. I told them like, you know, uh, get me one for my birthday or Christmas. I I would love to talk to the guy. So I did um, about a month after all of that. 
And I could do a whole show on the things the guy told me and the amount of things that have come true. But the one thing he told me was, he said, I see very clearly that you have two kids and your daughter's already born. So let me ask you, is your wife pregnant right now? And I was just like, holy crap. Like, yeah. You like, didn't know. No, oh, you no, didn't no know. I knew, but no one else knew. And so I said, yeah, you know, yeah. And he said, listen, I don't normally do this, but it's, it's going to be a boy. It has to be because uh, I see that you have a boy and a girl and the girl's already born. So I don't mean to spoil the surprise for you, but it's going to be a boy. And it was. And that was, that was crazy. He was real crazy, dude. I remember how accurate he was with a number of things. It was interesting. So, yeah. So it took uh, 30-something days of hard labor, but uh, <laughs> nine months later? Uh, nine months? It takes nine months for a kid to be born, Nick. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I had not, not a clue, dude. It's not always one month. So no. my, uh, my son Crosby, Crosby Harness, was born. So Cool dude. little Crosby, dude. Yes. And uh, to answer your questions, no, I'm not a Crosby, Stills, and Nash fan. I'm not a uh, Bing Crosby fan. Uh, we were just looking for a cool name. And honestly, it was a guy on the uh, the Deadliest Catch, that uh, Alaskan fisherman show. Yep. One of the deckhands was named Crosby Levin. And we always saw like Crosby. Like, that's kind of a cool first name for a little dude. I yeah. was going to name him Parker for a long time because of my obsession with uh, Spider-Man here. But um, at the last minute, I thought, like, I can't be a giant dork and name my kid after Spider-Man. So we changed. We named him Crosby. He was born. I'm glad you did not name him Parker, dude. He now wants me. He he wishes. Like, you would have named me after Spider-Man? That would have been so cool. Like, Yeah, <laughs> he, he wouldn't have thought it was nearly as cool if you would have done it, though. No, it's just a lesson that you can never do anything right as a parent. So, <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. You know, by the way, at one point, uh, Jen thought that she might be pregnant. Yeah. Oh, really? So we, yeah, we were talking about names and that sort of thing. And um, first of all, she she wasn't even though she liked Italian names because her family's Italian. She did not like the fact that I wanted to name a baby Bruno for Bruno <laughs> San Martino, uh. right? But then she really put her foot down when I suggested that we name our son, if it was a son, uh, Peter Mitchell. Ah, oh, from uh, the uh, from isn't he from Gun. the Family Guy? Oh. No. Top Gun. Pete Is that Mitchell. Maverick's real name? Pete Peter Mitchell. Yes. That's Pete right. Mitchell. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right, yeah. yeah. She was like, she was like, I am Top not, not naming my, <laughs> I am not naming my son Peter Mitchell Fisher. I am That's not. Funny. Yeah. 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 Well, and and speaking of things that are old and new again, Top Gun is back. We were just waiting for Tom Cruise to come back, and now we're all coming back. Now so, here yeah. we are. It's all full Love circle. Uh, all right, Nick. You got anything else from the '09-ish area before I move on to 2010? Don't worry, people. This will fast forward at some point. No, I don't think so. No, I do not. I'm looking at my list. I don't. 2009. No, I don't. Well, that's the year my dad died. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I guess there's that. But other than that, no. Your dad was a cool dude. So Yeah, he was a cool dude. That's for sure, dude. I hope he's listening somewhere. Or maybe I hope he's not. I'm actually not sure what the right answer is to that. I remember when we were doing the vocal minority originally that uh, other broadcast people in the industry that he respected asked him, like, are you listening to Nick's show? And he was like, no, <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. And I was like, okay, well, you gave me all your years when I was on the oldie station. So yeah, I'll relieve you of your duties. That's funny. Uh, 2010 was the first time I ever did my own talk show. One of the uh, one of the things that Psychic told me was yeah. that you're wasting your time doing music radio. He was like, you go on the radio, you say a lot of stuff, but you're not saying anything. 
He said, mm. I, you're, he said your, your fate lies in what in Australia we call talkback radio. It's where people, is like, he's like, it's a host and people call in and talk. And I'm like, yeah, we call that talk radio. I said, I used to do a show. He was like, he was like let me tell you, that's where your future lies. He said, at some point in the upcoming years here, you're going to have a chance in that community you're in to do a talk show. And you're not going to want to do it, but take the hit and do it. And so a couple of years hmm. later, we had a new program or new general manager at the station, and he fired the morning show host on our AM news talk station. And he told me, like, hey, I can't give you any more money, but I need you to start showing up at work at 630 in the morning and, uh, you know, doing a morning news talk show. And I looked at him. I said, yep, I'll do it. And he was like, really? <laughs> he was like, you're not going to bitch and moan about money or the hours? I said, nope, this, I've seen this coming. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. And so for two or three years, oh, uh, yes. I, I did a morning talk show by myself. And yet there was once or twice, Nick, where you were gone, where I did the vocal minority without you. So I knew I was capable of it. Sure. But it was still vastly intimidating. It's so much easier to do a talk show when you've got other people to, to lean on. 100%. But, um, yeah, I started doing it. Started uh, It was California, Nevada News, National News, and I was not shy at all about my opinions. And I was on right before Rush Limbaugh, by the way. Um, so it was a generally conservative audience, and I uh, dubbed myself lefty liberal in the morning, and I, uh, I just let it fly on any and every topic. And the station was constantly getting phone calls. Uh, the people just wanted me fired and thrown off there. And the uh, general manager at the time had my back and always defended me. Someone actually called the corporate office once and just insisted that I be fired. And, but uh, I stood the test of time. I had a Did lot it of feel good to you? It was cathartic. <clears throat> it, it, it's much like doing the show. Like it's kind of therapy on air. It's, it's your sure. soapbox, your chance to get your thoughts and opinions out there and vent about stuff. And So, yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. But throughout the entire thing, like, I, I mean, almost every show I thought about you guys. I thought about how much... I missed doing the show, how much I wished that we could get it back. And, you know, I, I didn't know where any of it was going, but I tried to just uh, embrace it and have fun and be a proud liberal and piss people off. Sure. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize until you did that. And I, I don't know why I didn't realize this, but I didn't realize even how conservative Lake Tahoe was. Like, there's uh, money there's, here, so there's conservative here. Yeah, I guess so. But, and, uh, and, you know, it's like any big city. Conservative stations don't draw the majority of people in that town by any means, but they draw those conservatives out, and they're very loyal listeners, and they're very opinionated and butthurt and angry and all that stuff. So, yeah, so yeah, right. you know, they're, they're, they're definitely around here, and they definitely did not like me. And they um, know better. That's what they always think. I just kept showing up every day. I, uh, I, I won by living well. Yeah. Good for you. So that Good was, for you. Best way to show them harness. That's right. Uh, that was 2010. Uh, anyone else have anything in that era before I skip ahead a year? Ruski? No, no. Everything was kind of going along, you know. I'm still in kind of almost semi-maritale in Tacoma, you know. Yeah, right. you guys, yeah, you're still there. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was on, uh, what was I saying? Uh, 2010, that would have been. Let me just sure. look at my historical sheet here now. A few years off still. Okay. So uh, the next year, still doing uh, the talk radio show here in uh, Lake Tahoe. And being in Lake Tahoe, it's a casino community, so there's always shows coming and going. And there was a comedy club in uh, Tahoe back in those years. And every week, the comedians that were coming through would come down to our radio station. And our morning show host uh, was the host of that comedy club, so he always had the comedians come in every Friday. 
So I right. got to meet a lot of these comedians. Um, some that were on their way up, some on their way down, some that are still just out there doing the circuit or whatever. But there was one guy I met in particular who, when I first met him, I was a little starstruck because it held a special place in my childhood heart. I bet we who was it? Together mm. for a million years. What theme song? Really? What is this, Bruce? Do you know? Of course I do. This is a Family Ties theme. Yes. That's, that's Johnny Mathis. That is the, uh, the that's Johnny Mathis? Really? I believe that it is Johnny Mathis who sings that. I could be wrong, though. Let me, let me, let I have me no check idea. on that. Really? But it is the Family Ties theme song. I befriended Skippy. Yeah. Skippy is my oh, friend. Oh, cool. Yes. Oh, that's right. Didn't you say he was kind of a dick, though? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's not a dick, but he um, he was constantly trying to use his waning celebrity to curry favor. Like, I heard him on the phone in the hallway. Oh, that's right. He wanted a bunch of free shit. Yeah. Right? He was calling, like, some customer service line. He was just like, hey, this is Skippy from NBC's uh, hit uh, sitcom Family Ties with Michael J. Fox. <laughs> and, it's been yeah, off the yeah. air for 30 years. Yeah, it's, you know? it's been off the air forever. <laughs> that and is poor right. Skippy. This guy bought a, a, a lot of land in the hills of L.A. back when he had money, and he still lives there in a trailer. But he's not doing as well anymore, so he got busted running an extension cord from his trailer to the property next door and stealing electricity from the neighbor. Oh, and the neighbor me. like came out. Isn't it Mark Price or something Mark like Price. that? Mark Price, very yeah. good, Bruce. Now, I, I will say I'm, I was wrong about the Family Ties scene. That was uh, Danny Tufano and Mindy Sterling. Who oh, they okay. are, I have no clue. I don't either, but I'm glad we cleared that up. Uh, the yes. point is, Skippy is my friend. Uh, we're going to have to call him someday. I have his cell oh, phone in here. I'm not going to call awesome. him live right now. Don't put me on the spot. but, but yes, I thought... You do. I remember you said I got Skippy's number. It was a big accomplishment well, for you. Yes. You know, the, the, speaking of Skippy on Family Ties, he had this. Yeah. When he and Mallory graduated high school, mm, they were Mallory, going to this, yeah. this little school called Grant College. Mm. And um, one of the selling points for people to go to Grant College was that uh, when you went in for your um, uh, what do you call it? orientation? Yeah, you got a free steak dinner. Okay. And, he, and, and, and they asked Skippy about going to Grant College, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, I can't wait for that big juicy steak." And and but it was just funny because it's like, really, that's what so young going to college is—you got a free steak dinner. I mean, come was on, is this in real life or on the show? No, on the show, on the show. Oh, okay. so he was, was in was, hard times on the show too, though. Always, was, you know, the wacky neighbor pining after Mallory. Yeah, yeah. And now he was adopted late in life. Yeah. And yeah, the original Mallory Nick. was Mallory was with, with, with Nick Scott Valentine. I got I probably have uh fifteen to twenty episodes of Family Ties recorded on my really? DVR right now. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. My yep. point is this is what my celebrity status brought me. I got <laughs> Skippy in my life. Skippy. Do you think mm. do you think he might be able to score me naked? pictures of Tina Yothers. I don't Dude, think that is so anything. nasty. Why Come are on. you a Tina Yothers fan when Justine Bateman was sitting right next to her? Because she's real skanky now. <laughs> oh, dude, she's I isn't. I almost thought she was Dana Plato dead. Oh you know? no! Don't get me started on Dana Plato. I actually downloaded the the, the pictures the other day of her uh, when she was in Playboy. <laughs> oh, gosh, dude, have you seen her sex tape? She's got a sex tape. Yeah, it was, really wasn't Wait, all that Jennifer good. or Dana Plato? But, Dana you know, Plato. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, you know what sucked about that sex tape? 
The one thing that sucked about it was Her, that I, minutes no, three through four, I'm assuming. No, early on, that, four that I that, that I was uninvited. <laughs> that I was uninvited to star in it with her. That's what sucked oh, about it. I'm sorry, Brewski. We all miss yeah. out on opportunities in this world. So That's a, that is such a weird one. Tina Yothers. You didn't have not? anything for okay, Justine okay. Bateman? Okay, what am I going to ask him for? Pixies of Meredith Bernie? I mean, come on. Almost. Excuse me, Meredith Baxter. Even yeah. Gross. I mean, uh, well, oh, Michael Gross. Him naked? I don't know. No, Michael no. Gross, yeah. Tina Yothers. Well, I thought Tina's Elise out. was a MILF. She was a good looking mom. Oh, but don't you know what about her now? No. Well, she doesn't like men. Oh, That's I don't yeah. follow her on MySpace. No, I don't no, know. No, very, very, very angry lesbian woman. Very yeah. angry. She is angry. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, yeah. That's all right. But David. Her husband, David Bernie, like was a little for a lot of years, so, you know. Uh, you know what? While we're talking about uh, your highlight of the year with Skippy, I yes. uh, we went should let... Who's nice? Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're buddies. Was he a good skier? No, no. I mean, he couldn't <laughs> lay down while he skis like I could. <laughs> he couldn't lay down on his skis like you do, dude. No, I'm a hot uh, well, that's <laughs> great that you went skiing with him, uh, but I have a autograph picture hanging in my uh laundry room of who of who Autograph. any guesses tony danza <laughs> yes dude yeah. i got a brewski got me an autograph picture of tony danza that's when he right. was in vegas uh, that's right and uh i think it says keep punching uh you know like yes. uh because tony's Actually, boxer is an incredible boxer dude so brewski that was the best gift you could have given nick just so you know Kudos. Well, so so I actually got that autograph here in Boston. He was oh, you did? At, well, he was actually at a at a comic book convention, and if you and uh, if I told you why I was there, you'd probably think I'm really dorky. But oh. I already I was, think you're why? really dorky. Dude. Go ahead. I was there because it was they were celebrating this big anniversary of the movie The Warriors. Oh yeah, and they yeah, had sure. they had the entire cast there. And I went there dressed, and I had a I have a warrior's leather vest. Wow. I, I and everything. They weren't booked yeah. elsewhere that night. That's hard to believe. <laughs> and then we watched the movie and did a question and answer session with them afterwards too, wow. which was awesome. Wow! Wow! So take, take a look at this. You see this right here? Oh my gosh! Wow! Who oh. is that, dude? Is that Teen Witch? No, that's Facts of Life right there. That is that is Lisa Welchel. Who is it? Natalie. No, it's Blair. Blair, come on. <laughs> oh, I can't I can't see very well, dude. I okay, can't so see very well. Yeah. Don't you love I have these theme songs back? <laughs> <laughs> I was more into Joe because I like the rough girl, but uh, Blair. Me too, dude. I love Joe. Well, yeah. so here's here's the thing. So so that's actually a Christian album she recorded. She's super Christian. Ay, ay, ay. And I bought the album Jesus and I sent Christ. it to I sent it to her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I sent it and I got an autograph from her, and it says, uh, "Jason, blessings, Lisa Welchel." Oh my gosh, she clearly yeah. didn't know who you were. If she's uh, no, giving not you at any all. sort of Jesus-inspired messaging, not, not not one at all. But I will tell you this: if you want to see a really cute like girl in a movie, watch a movie called The Double MacGuffin. It sounds like a porn. No, it's it not. Sure does. It's double so the, MacGuffin. I gave okay. her the old double MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but actually, so but but a double MacGuffin is actually a a, a, um, a term you use in uh, a detective novel to to talk about something that distracts you away from the actual crime that's being committed. 
And Lisa Lisa uh. Welchel is in that movie, and and it, it's actually believe it or not, um, Joe Camp uh, directed that movie. That's the guy that did all the Benji movies. Wow, the little dog Benji. I love oh, the, fascinating, dude. I, I love you. you have this autograph picture just sitting there, and I have the theme song sitting here. I don't know what is wrong with us, but this is all coming together know. nicely. If it I, really if I... is. <laughs> I'm Tony Fanza, and only in New York could you be live. <laughs> <laughs> only in New York could you be live, dude. Tony Danza. It is an extravaganza. I love Tony Danza. When you gave me that picture. He was uh, so nice. You would have loved him. He was? Oh, my God, yeah. He was so nice. Is he still Did you tell him how big of a fan I was? Yeah, I took a picture with him. I'll I'll show you guys the picture sometime. i got to dig it out. But I paid to get a picture taken with him, and he's just like, come here, Brewski, let me give you a hug. Well, you paid him. And he, like, pulled me. He he pulled me close. But here's the thing, though. He stood next to other people. But we talked for a few minutes. He hugged me, not like other people. (laughs) Wow. Of course he did, dude. Is he dead? You're talking about him in past terms. He was. No. He's doing well, dude. Well, then He's honor him well. by saying he is a good guy, not he was a good guy. Well, no, he was a good guy You're the day I met him. <laughs> now, that's, a, that's the same day that I did whiskey shots with uh, Tom Wopat and John Schneider. Wow. Uh, you, you live an incredible life, Brisky. No, no, no when, you're, when you're at Comic-Con and people are showing up to do all these, yeah. <laughs> all these appearances. Yeah. I'm sitting at the Just bar, and I'm drinking with this woman <laughs> who's dressed up no like Violet from um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. She had, like, this inflatable blue suit on, and she had this, like, blue face and was sitting there drinking. And at one point, she's like, I feel funny. And at that point, all of a sudden, here comes <laughs> here comes Tom Wopai and John Schneider walking up. And I, I threw down for us all due to whiskey shots together. Wow. Do you incredible. see, people, the lives we have been living and the knowledge oh. we now impart upon you? I may have knowledge. I may have the picture, not only autographed, but taken with the person that's the best here, the best story. I think it's going to put the cherry on this Sunday, all right? Okay. Please. Oh! Is that Fat Albert? Yes, yeah. Fat Albert, dude, and I uh, spent a little time with Bill Cosby. Oh, and I want to sing a song Did you fall asleep halfway through seeing him? Wake no, I didn't, dude. I was a minor. He's not that creepy. Uh, I woke yeah. up and my, my backside hurt badly. I don't know what happened. But, uh... Uh, he was doing a comedy show at the Puyallup Fair. And wow. I introduced him on stage and uh, had a whole conversation with him for probably 20 minutes before he went on 20 minutes on you stage. talked to Dr. Huxtable? Yeah. And wow. uh, then I had to go bring him out on stage. And uh, I don't know if you guys can both relate to this, but they sent me out. I'm probably, I don't know, there's probably three or 4,000 people there. So it's yeah. not a huge crowd, but it's a you know nice-sized crowd. Yeah. I go out there, and I am... I think I'm 19 years old, or I'm probably 20 years old at this point in my life. I haven't even drank legally yet. And they said, oh, Nick, go down and uh, introduce Bill Cosby at this event. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll jump at that. So I go down there. I talk to Bill Cosby. He asks me if I'm in school and if I'm being a good boy. You know, little boy. (laughs) All the stuff like telling me how pharmacy. (laughs) He's telling me how uh, important education is. We have this whole conversation about how like 
oh, I'm getting into radio because I just started, and he's telling me, like, you know, play clean, you know, uh, the dirty stuff is not is not where it's at. Play clean. So we have this whole conversation. You ignore that advice. Then I go on stage to introduce him, and for whatever reason, I do the whole, you know, probably two minutes. I'm like, you know, pumping the crowd up. How's everyone doing tonight? What a beautiful summer night it is, blah, blah, blah. Here's the concerts we're putting together for you all summer long at KBSG Oldies 97.3. So we got this crowd of baby boomers out there, and they're all excited to see Dr. Huxtable. And I go through, tell everyone who's going to be there for the summer, and I'm like, now, ladies and gentlemen, it's finally time to bring him out on stage. You know him as Bill Cosby, but let's bring out Dr. Huxtable. And nothing. No one comes out. (laughs) And everyone's clapping and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like looking back behind me like, uh, are we going here? And there's a guy on the side of the stage, and he's telling, you know, Putting his fists together and pulling them apart. Like, uh, you got to stretch. Oh, stretch. You got to stretch it out. Yeah. And I am horrified because <laughs> I, I, don't, I already blew my wad. I have nothing left to say, dude. It is uh, terrible they didn't get to you before you actually introduced him. Oh, unbelievably terrible because now I'm embarrassed. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, just kidding because everyone was ready and pumped. Now you got this idiot standing up there. And I don't even know what to talk about. At this point. So I just start talking about the fair. Mm-hmm. I think I think I said, like, you know, oh, Mr. Cosby, uh, he's going to be with us in, you know, a minute or two and blah, blah, blah. And I start talking about the fair. Uh, I was up there for 15 minutes oh. stretching. And, Dude, uh, he did assault you, okay? He, yeah, he did. He bent me over and assaulted yeah. me real good. Seriously, wow. that's violating. Yeah. I've done oh, stuff like awful. that. 15 minutes you had to oh. ad-lib for? Yeah. and I, uh, I would have killed I'm, that guy, not even knowing well, all the stuff he was going to go on to do. I, yes. Dude, I was horrified oh, because I thought, terrible. here's my big chance to do this, and then it turned into that shit show. Wow. But I still got a picture uh, obviously, with you know, he signed it for me, and it's the two of us standing next to each other, and uh, <laughs> his hands I caressing had, your back gently. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that picture, and a couple of years ago, my brother sent it to me, and he said, "This didn't age very well, did it?" Right? Wow. Oh no! Didn't I that? once introduced Hitler at a concert, just in fairness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but he came right out when you called him, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hitler's not rude, yeah. you know. No. I mean, come on. So. Now, wow. uh, N- Nikki, do you do you remember, by the way, when we were both working over at Clear Channel, my really big interview when I was on Mitch in the Morning? Uh, give me a little more. Give me a little more. Who? 80s, 80s female movie star, redhead. Uh, Molly Ringwald? That is right. Uh, yeah. Yes. Didn't you ask her about panties? I did not. Okay. I thought you did. No, you were you did it in the production studio. You weren't live when you did it, right? Exactly. In the production right. studio. And uh, I have a picture here that I can share with you guys of uh, Molly and I. And uh, my hand is a little bit low on her right side <laughs> hip. I bet and, it uh, is. It's an 80s heart I get it. Uh, yeah. Well, and here's the other thing, too, is, is that so... You know, you do stuff for a show. Like, we were talking about how Hannity plays a character and that sort of thing. Sure. So I had this producing partner at the time who was routinely throwing me under the bus and making me look bad on the air, like for yucks on the show and that sort of thing. Right. 
So I happen to look outside the door to see where everybody was. And I see he's walking towards the station, the studio. Now, Molly has just left me. She's taking pictures with people. I go to the chair where she's sitting and I put my face sideways <laughs> on the chair. It's still, the seat is still warm, right? Oh, right? No, 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 no. But, so so I, I, did, I, did, I did this for a particular reason. He comes walking through the door and I jump back like, oh, and he's like, what were you doing? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like nothing, nothing at all, right? Because I knew he was going to go to Mitch the next day and say, guess what I caught him doing? And that sort of thing. And so you were doing it for comedy gold, not because you're ex- some weird perv. Exactly. Are you sure, dude? Or is Are a you sure? No, I don't no, know. No, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm on. I'm serious. So the next day, and this is like a whole joke that I had on all of them. They yeah. can't. They were giving me trouble, and to this day, they still have no idea. Well, I did have a a moment mm. a few years ago where I kind of brought it out to Mitch that that was all fake, but I did it for the show. And uh, sure enough, he went on the air the next day. And the minute he had an opportunity, he mentioned it. Yeah, well, he should have. He probably should have called the cops first <laughs> and then mentioned it on the radio. <laughs> did you smell anything? I wasn't trying to. Did you I smell was like you? Come on. No, not, nothing like that. No, when, when she was sitting next to me and I had my arm around her, she smelled kind of like vanilla, I'll tell you that. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is a nice encounter, dude. I didn't ever know that you smelled the seat. I, for some reason, I thought you did something with panties, but maybe not. Oh, there. It's a beautiful picture, Brewski. Oh, yeah. oh she still looks hot there, yeah. dude. Yeah. Brewski, you're looking pretty hot there, too. But I might, oh, if you don't mind really. me saying so. Oh, and there, Two yeah. redheads. You would have made beautiful children. You really should have pushed the subject more. Yeah, yeah. I was... I wasn't as fat then, so that was good. And by the way, <laughs> wow. that means that you interviewed Molly Ringwald. We on the Vocal Minority interviewed Anthony Michael Hall, which is still one of my favorite interviews because it was spontaneous. We just had a good chat. So, and he was That's a good, good guy. 80s knowledge. Yeah, he I was like fun to talk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See how diverse we are, people. Yeah. All right, let's roll forward to 2011. Uh, that was my uh, becoming friends with Skippy. Any uh, anyone else have something that year? No, I yeah. don't have anything from 2011 it was a dead year let's talk 2012 real quick because that is the year the washington state legalized recreational marijuana which then started to triple or ripple uh, across the country california took a few more years but yeah that was the in our sign-off time pot became legal can we discuss how mind-blowing that is after a yeah. lifetime of hiding that, it being illegal, being afraid you're going to get arrested, and now there's a store down the street you can go buy it at? Do you have any regrets that it is legal? No. The prices have not gone up. The quality has gone way up, though. The accessibility sure. has gone way up. Yeah. And the socially acceptableness of it has gone up, although it's still awkward. Like, I, I, you know at the dinner table, I wouldn't hesitate to put a cocktail on the table in front of my kids. I wouldn't put a bong on the table, though. So we're uh, Do the... your kids know you smoke? No. No, they do not, as far as I know. Really? Wow. Are yes, you kidding I've... me, dude? No, I've done a very good job of uh, considering yeah. that. It's I a good thing I'm not announcing have. it to the world or anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that you have done I a don't good think, job. No, I, don't... I think they both know no, but I've have done not a very good job. To you. I don't Steve, know about that. I've well, smoked so much pot with you in yeah. your home, and, and I think I am. They're kids. Listen, they don't know what that smell is. Someday, here's my prediction. Do. 
teenagers. Of course they know. <laughs> well, maybe now. Maybe. I, I, I can assume someday they'll be at a party and be like, that's what my dad's bedroom used to smell like. <laughs> that's weird. Listen, I, I had this thought. I've had this thought many times of, you know, like, uh, here's the thing. Steve and I obviously don't live in the same town anymore, but I go into Tahoe usually a time or two a year. Uh, every time I've gone in to Tahoe. Yeah, we have a lot of meetings. Uh, we have. <laughs> this, this is how it works out, dude. I got to borrow Uncle Nick for five minutes, please. <laughs> yes, at nighttime, the kids, I'll be hanging with the kids, and then all of a sudden, Steve will be back in the bedroom doing something for a while. He'll come out, and he'll be like, Uncle Nick and I need to have a little meeting. We'll, we'll be back. Then we'll go into his bedroom and open the window and smoke and and smoke a bong for ten or fifteen minutes and cough and everything else and then come out and uh, I, I think that they have to know, dude. I think no. they have to know. I don't know. And may, maybe that's my paranoia. So, I always felt like they might know when I came out. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know. You know. I mean, certainly it's never been brought up. There was one time, I will say, my, uh, I, I don't want to get to the, uh, I don't want to give away too many spoils here, but my now ex-wife, um, she came walking out of our bedroom once holding the bong, like right in front of everyone. <laughs> I remember, she was I just, remember. She was spaced out and wasn't thinking, and she just comes walking out, and I just, I lunged at her and just like covered my body over her, and both <laughs> kids are just like, what are you doing? I'm just like, you're on fire, so like, you got a bug up. Great! Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, I'm, and my son later was like, what was that thing mom was holding? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Go back to watching cartoons. <laughs> like, <laughs> but no, as far as I know, it's certainly never come up. But it's a weird thing because it used to be illegal. So that was just taboo, period. But yeah, now what do I do? Because it is totally legal. My kids, I remember when my uh, daughter went to sixth grade, she came home and it was like, hey, I, I hear an eighth cost uh, 30 bucks. And I was like, what are you talking about? She said, well, in the, in, the, in the women's room at the middle school, that's what they're selling pot in the bathroom for. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, but now it's legal. Like, we have sponsors at our radio station here that are pot shops. They sponsor major events. Uh, I, I, I've judged the cannabis cup. I mean, we're- You better tell them, dude. You better just tell them, you know what? Daddy does this. He does pot responsibly he does pot <laughs> daddy yeah. does pot and has done it for a long time yeah and so does and your mom okay <laughs> so, yeah know. yeah and, and your dad does it better than your mom just so right. you know this has been one of the things where i wondered and nick and i have talked about this like if we had never stopped this show how would i have done all of these years of doing what we said at the beginning of the show being honest with the audience and not bullshitting people i don't know how i would have lived this dual life of being honest on the radio but then being a dad that has to go home and say you know here's sure. what's right and wrong and all that so maybe this was difficult part of the secret blessing of us putting the show on the shelf like the kids are older society has changed I have told, we had a big talk in this family about whether everyone should be listening to this podcast. Because at first I was like, yes, like I'm ready to let the truths all come out. Uh, my daughter does not know, by the way, that we never knew we were eight months pregnant. Like that whole story. She's never done the math on that. You know, we used to. Oh, she doesn't? It's never been discussed. And yeah. I always wondered if she would realize, like, oh, mom and dad are celebrating their 10-year anniversary this week, and next week is your 10th birthday. Like, she never she never put any of that stuff together. So there's a lot of information I'm going to put out on the show that my kids do not know about me. And at first, I was just like, you know what? Everyone's old enough. I'm ready. I want to stop hiding. But now I sort of threw the gauntlet down in the house, 
with the kids and with someone else we'll get to later, that, you know what, for now, don't listen to this. I need to go in and do this talk show without you people in my head and censoring myself and worrying about what they're going to say and not say. It defeats the whole purpose of trying to do a real honest talk show. So I've yeah. told everyone, let me get a few episodes into this, and then, then we'll discuss. Maybe there's some highlights you can listen to, or maybe you just go and listen to the whole thing, and we have a whole bunch of family conversations after that point. And what was their response? They were okay with that? Uh, my daughter was, Crosby was a little taken aback by it. And then he started trying to tell me, like, hey, wait a minute, you're not going to talk about me, are you? And I'm like, well, yeah, you're part of, the, you're part of my life. He's like, I'm not okay with that. I'm like, well, it's not up to you. So why don't you just uh, not listen for now and put faith in me that I'm not going to embarrass all of us or out some, you know, secret or something. Like, sure. just, you know, so that's where we're at as of now. There's going to be an episode one of these days where they have listened, and I don't know what's going to happen with that. This is either going to be yeah. a whole new bonding experience or – I'm going to lose custody of my kids. One of the two <laughs> is going to happen. Well, hopefully that won't happen, but I would be willing to. I, I'm i just trying to put myself in their shoes. And if my dad told me, you know, don't listen to these podcasts, I, I mean, you I'd find a way to listen to it. Yes. I think I would. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. told them that you can do that. Just like if I tell you not to watch some violent movie, but, you know. That's your secret then. You reference to me that you've heard something. Then uh, first thing first, you're grounded. And now let's yeah. talk about daddy's sex <laughs> right, life yeah. and drug life and everything else. So yeah. I don't know. You know, it's it's part of this. We'll see how it goes. It's something sure. I was living in fear of for many years. And now it's all out there. And like Nick and I were talking about recently, the difference between this podcast and the show we used to do is that was live radio. And if you weren't listening at the time, Whatever was said is gone into the ether. Even if you were listening yeah. on the World Wide Web, it's still, if you weren't listening live, you missed it. This yeah. is going to be archived for all time to come. <laughs> yep. So, I yeah. mean, my kids may be in their 20s or 30s, but at some point, you're right, they're going to listen to this. Sure. I've always told Nick, to it. like, if I die, not only do you clear my search history, but I've got a box of the old vocal minority shows laying around that need to get disintegrated or something, because I can't let my kids find out all this stuff. But here yeah, we go. Yeah, and I... And I... You know what? I'm willing to do that for you. Please do. Uh, but I need. I don't know that I have access. You know, I don't get know it. if I have access to your home anymore. <laughs> you do. You know, Just, there's a window. Just get in here and get it done. So. All right. Uh, well, what about the? Uh, oh, are we waiting? Okay, we're waiting for the other part of your household. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll get to yeah. that. We're going okay. chronologically here next. All right. Let's. Okay. All right. 2013. Unless anyone else has something to throw in here. Mm, 2013 boy that was nine years ago oh that's that's my big year oh let's have it bruce sure what you got okay so i finally get a job back in radio but it's in sales mm. and in the meantime i've i've sold cars i'll <laughs> we'll talk about my opinion of radio sales later but go ahead yes so i was i had sold cars for a while and then what happened was uh, iHeart was starting this specific team that sold advertising strictly to car dealers. So because I had radio experience and car sales experience, they thought that I would be good to be kind of like the account manager for the sales team. So right. I, wasn't, I wasn't out on the road selling at that point, but I was setting up the appointments for the salespeople. I was creating... Uh, proposals. I was coming up with um, uh, 
saleable ideas and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I got Vern Funk to um, advertise. <laughs> Honk if you drive by Vern Funk. There's a very and, Seattle reference for you all. Yeah. And so um, anyway, um, and so anyway. Big year, um, Brisky. Come on. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing the sales thing, right? <laughs> and uh, so then I'm there for about eight months. And then I go into work one day. And again, they're firing the entire sales team. D-U-N. Exactly. Now, keep in mind, two days prior to that, I woke up one morning and I went and I got Jenna coffee. And I came home and I said, hey, you know what? The funniest thing happened last night. I was... <laughs> I was taking your glasses off your face because you fell asleep with their glasses on and you woke up and, and you said to me, what are you doing? Stop that. I fucking hate you. And, and wow. I was just, uh, yeah, but, oh. I, but I chalked that up too. I chalked that up too because she's half asleep. You know, people say weird stuff when they're half asleep. Yeah. You're sure. very forgiving, dude. Yeah, I mean, that's very forgiving. Okay. So then, oh, I want a divorce. <laughs> so then, so then she leaves me in the kitchen. I'm, I'm cooking breakfast. And she comes back a couple minutes later and she's like, hey, can we talk? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. And then she says, you know what? Uh, mm. You know, I, I, that wasn't just me half asleep. Listen, I, I think we ought I think we ought to break up and, and that sort of thing. Wow. So then I <laughs> so then I I'm sorry, Bruski. That's a that's a throat uh, punch. Dude. No, no. But but I said I said, OK. And she's like, that's it. And I said, well, listen, you know what? Back a couple of years ago when you tried to break up with me for like the eighth time, <laughs> I, told, yeah. I told you, I told, and you took it back. I said, the next time you do it, you better be ready to go through with it because I'm not going to fight you on it. Yeah, and, right. And I, and, I, and I said, that's today. And yeah. So they go, okay, whatever, right? So then I go to work two days later. I get fired at work, right? Now, yeah. she and I, she, she, when we broke up, she told me, you can have a few weeks to find a place to live and all that sort of thing. I'm mm. like, okay, no problem. I come home that night and she says, so you got fired today. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, you know, how I told you that, um, that, uh, you could have a couple weeks to get a, a someplace to live. I said, yeah. She says, I want you. She said, I want you out of the house right away. I was, oh, like, wow. I was like, excuse me. And then she's just like, well, you know, I talked to Lainey. who's a friend of our, a mutual friend of ours and she needs someone to house sit. And for a month and I need, you know, I want you to go and do that. And uh, so I was kicked out of my house like immediately. Yeah. I don't understand wow. why your response to that wasn't the fuck I am. I mean, uh, we can, we can stay in separate sides of the house or whatever. Well, well but and here's the thing. I, we had a full basement there that had three rooms. One of which was supposed to be like my man pit, quote unquote, as she called it. Right. And, but but she was like, I want you out of the house. And then here's the kicker. And so I was just like, well, you know, Lenny doesn't have cable and everything. I was like, you know, hey, can I um can I like come over and watch TV and uh, you know, use <laughs> oh, the internet geez. here and everything? And she's like, she's like, no, I don't feel comfortable with you in the house when I'm not home. And I'm like, you've been with me for what, like almost ten years, and you're not comfortable with me coming in the house. Wow. So, but but the joke's on her because. We hid a hide a key outside the house because <laughs> because because she had this really bad habit of going outside for a cigarette and locking her out of the locking herself out of the house. Yeah. And one time I was at work and she was working from home and she's just like calling me up at work saying, Hey, I locked myself out of the house. 
Now, granted, I'm only going from Ballard to Greenwood, which is probably about, if you're not from Seattle, maybe about a seven-minute drive. So I could leave my office and get her back in the house. But from that point forward, we had to hide a key in case she got locked out. So then what I did was, when she left for work, I'd just go over to the house, and I'd sit with my dogs and watch TV all day. Wow. So, yeah. You were breaking into your former residence. Well, technically, I was on the lease, too. So, you know, so you can't say I'm breaking in if I'm, if I'm on the lease, you know, I would agree with that. And yes. it is harsh. Why did she fast forward that whole timeline? Well, so the here's the thing, but so I didn't realize until after the fact, but you know, how there are always breadcrumbs that lead up to, to that, the ultimate yeah. thing. In hindsight, you start to see them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, so like, I thought immediately like, so Lawrence Taylor, who used to play for the giants got busted for drugs in one time by the cops. Yeah. And he said, he famously said, I was set up like a motherfucker. And that's exactly what, what I felt like in that position there. I was set up like a motherfucker. Because <laughs> from the time I got that job at, at iHeart to the time I broke, she broke up with me, there were little oh, things. Like yeah. the, the, uh, the bank accounts being separated. And then her, her taking me off her health insurance. Oh. And, uh, even though she worked for a health insurance company, looked at the health insurance that iHeart was giving me, and it was complete shit. And she's like, yeah, this, this this is really good. You'll be totally fine with that. Yeah, wow. I don't know. I would have been so much more vindictive towards that whole thing. And, uh, you know, kudos to you for, you know, breaking and entering and hiding during the day. But I would have made her life not nearly as fun as it was. Yeah. Well, you know what I did, too? I did, too, too. Um, so, you know, I'm not the big pot smoker like you guys are. But I hey, have friends come on who... Now. But I had I had friends who were big pot smokers, and she used to buy like quantity and keep it in the freezer. Mm. Smart Smart back in those days, yes. But I I would pinch every time I went over there. I would pinch from from her stash in in the freezer and bring it over to my buddy the claws house and say, "Here you go. I was over at Jen's house today, and so he." (laughs) He got he got free weed nice. for for several months. One nice. nugget at a time. I will ruin. Oh you. no! Oh no! No no! I, I was thinking more than that. Oh, good but, for you. But she didn't know I was going over there, so it's like, hard to felt... notice a pinch at a time. So yeah, nice. But she, but she she wouldn't know know that that especially me. Well, what's she gonna I... do? Call the cops? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> People have done that before, by the way, and it never ends well for them. No. That guy stole my weed. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. And. So oh, anyway, so so, that, that was, okay. Any other uh, terribleness no, that, of that year? So your no. career got derailed and your uh, longtime relationship fell apart. Well, blindsided. Well, the brewski blindside. Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't so happy in radio sales anyway, so. Yeah, you well, and the biggest been. part of that was you Stuff losing the, your puppies, right? I mean, you lost your yeah. dogs, you she, lost she got, your girlfriend. She got custody of my dogs, and uh, but that's because I moved in <clears> with a couple of buddies of mine who didn't have a fenced-in yard, so I couldn't keep the dogs myself. Wow, harsh. Can I just say, uh, not to uh, you know derail the su- no. subject here, I've never worn headphones for this long in my life. They're starting to really bother me. Are your ears all sweaty? Yeah, and they're rubbing on me a little. Because, you know, talk radio people, we would take commercial breaks a couple times an hour. We'd all uh, take the headphones off, take a leak, you know, get some fresh air, take a smoke or whatever. Podcasting. Yeah, I haven't. Podcasting uh, is not for the faint of heart. Straight no, through, baby. <laughs> I haven't been wearing headphones for years, dude. The only reason I have right. these on is for, uh, are is for you guys. Yeah, uh, 
I only wear them for live radio, and most of what I've been doing is, you know, canned or remote or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. You know what, though? These are the same headphones that I've had since the KBSG <laughs> days, since the vocal minority days. Wow. And these are the same, too. Yeah. Yeah. These, these like are that. brand new, but they're the same ones you guys have. Nice. Beautiful. Well, you spent an arm and a leg on those bad boys. No, yeah. those they weren't bad at all. I got them on Amazon. I got them for a good deal. What'd you so pay? like 125 back in the day, which was really expensive. Now, Beats by Dre are what, like 900 bucks or something? $99 I paid for these headphones. Yeah, and they're good cans. So. Yeah, but yeah, Beats by Dre are shit. Right? They, no, no, they are. They sound like shit. No, I've tried them on before. They're not. You're right. Yeah, these are the best studio monitors that you can buy. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, excuse me. Uh, you All know right. what else happened in 2013? If what? memory serves, because it's a little hazy, and uh, I can't imagine why. Uh, <laughs> Brewski and I reunited. In 2013, I launched a website called LeftyLiberal.com. You did. And it was a, uh, an attempt to give me uh, a platform outside of my morning radio show that was just pissing off people in my town. To uh to get some other media friends together and let's do let's do some podcasts some articles we had political cartoons going on there and uh, Brewski was one of the people that stepped on up and for absolutely no pay uh, like everyone was making on that website we all started contributing content we had yeah. a phenomenal liberal website yeah, which right later got and taken how long over. was the run well so here's what happened two things happened uh, in twenty. In 2014, I became the general manager of the radio stations in Lake Tahoe, and I had to stop pissing people off because it's too small of a town. I couldn't risk upsetting clients. I couldn't lose something over my opinions and rants. I had to look out for the station. I had employees now. like So I had to stop doing the the political rants. So I, I, I stuck a fork in Lefty Liberal which, again, I felt bad about, but it wasn't really going much of anywhere. But the funny thing was about that website, like I let the website just kind of sit there, and like a year later, I got an email that at the time I thought was fake because it made no sense whatsoever, but it was from the, the company that was hosting the website, and they said, Russians have hacked your website and have taken over leftyliberal.com. That's right. I and I was just like, Russians? That. Why would Russians be hacking political <laughs> oh. American websites? Like, that's absurd. Yeah. I laughed no it sense. off. Why would and, they do that? And now we know. Like, yeah. they probably actually did do that. And were did using- they offer to sell it back to you for an extreme price? <laughs> yeah, no. And I don't know. People don't go to that website. I don't know what's at that URL anymore. I'm not buying it back from you if you're sitting on it. Can we pay in rubles? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you, you'll be giving Putin a direct line into your life, so don't go there. But it was a cool website. I started cartooning again. I had a friend from Michigan who was doing cartoons and articles. and So it was fun. But then, yeah, I became a, a real person a year later, a real boss guy, and I had to stop all that. Sure. And that was a, a fork in the road for me, quite frankly, 2014. You know, yeah, I wanted yeah. to become general manager because I had a family to take care of. And as you've heard us discuss, you know, the on-air side, unless you are the Howard Stern level, uh, you're not making dick for money. And the sales side, the management side, that's where all the nice cars in the parking lot come from. You know, the DJs have the beat-up old, you know, Malibus or whatever, and the sales guys have the new BMWs. So I felt I had to uh, take care of the family. So I had been sort of 
pushing myself, learning sales and management. And then uh, we had a, a GM leave at the station at the time. And I went directly to the owner in Denver. And I made a pitch for why you should make me the GM. He flew me to Denver and interviewed me personally in his office and put me through all these hoops. He sent me to another market. Please that they owned. hoops, dude. I mean, uh, that it sounds was, a little odd. It was a little kinky, but mainly just painful, which yeah. actually makes sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I had to stop all the political ranting and ravings and uh, put on my big kid pants. And that's when I started doing radio sales full time, Spruski. And uh, I, uh, I don't like it. Didn't like it then, and I don't fucking like it now. You started yeah. wearing collared shirts, dude. Yeah, for a brief period there, and <laughs> uh, you know, wearing wearing my glasses. It was all a, it was a coincidence in the timing, but uh, you know, I got on my very studious management glasses and had to have a real yeah. job. Now the advantage was 2014. Speaking of reuniting with Brewski in 2013. Guess who I hired? Because I was the program director and I got promoted to general manager. So then I had to hire a program director. Who yeah. could I find? Who did I know? <laughs> I don't would, know, dude. That would have my back, that could do the job, that was the, all the talent in the world, and that I could convince to work for next to nothing. Because uh, that's, again, what the programming side is. So, oh, that had to be me, dude. That is Nick Reynolds, everybody. So. And uh, it didn't end there, dude. Uh, let's be honest. For the large salary I received, yes. uh, I was working on the air. Uh, I was programming, and uh, I'm also the uh, head of HR. Yes, Nick so, is our I human mean, resources I mean, yeah. director. That is a true story. <laughs> yeah. Ops manager, program director, and human resources. Yeah. So, wow. That's fun. Man of many hats. So, yeah. So, in 2014, Nick and Steve were able to reunite on the radio airwaves yet again, just in a completely different capacity. Different uh, capacity, but started being able to work together on a daily ba daily basis. Yeah. And, you know, kind of more felt like old times. At least I got to, you know, we talked to each other every day. So, yep, that was nice, dude. And yeah, I needed someone who would have my back. The corporate office, by the way, did not want me to hire you because you were in a different market. And I explained to them that in the, the little town I was in, there was nobody that had any qualifications. I didn't want to hire somebody new and make them the program director, which for those of you not in the business, that's the, the, the boss of the on-air side, person that picks the music and the DJs and all that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> I told them, I said, if the key here is to have somebody that's got my back and that has the talent, this is the guy I want. So I want him. Uh, or I'm just not hiring anyone else. So they, they conceded, and we hired Nick. And <clears throat> What year is this, 2022? Man, we're still working there. Dude, what year was that, 2014? Yep. Uh, it's been a long, strange trip, dude. I yeah. mean, it really has been a long ride at KRLT. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, it's been good, for sure. I, I've, I've loved being a part of the station. and It's mainly been good, yeah. Yeah. You, you've been good. <laughs> well you've had uh i don't have all the stress that you have dude i mean no, i don't have all the no. stress that you have you know i don't uh, i'm not have, a guy who has to meet meet payroll every every two weeks right i have said on a few occasions in recent years like if happiness is the goal put me back a program director let me just make commercials and go on the radio and play good music all of this shit and stress that I took on becoming the general manager, being in charge of sales, corporate office, all of that stuff. Yes, I started making more money and could provide a life for my family that I was never capable of before. But uh, the stress was off the freaking charts. And my life started to kind of spiral out of control as a result of it. 
I now, mean, it changed your health, dude. I mean, that's how much the stress was, right? Absolutely. I started gaining weight. I became a stressed out individual. I was working constantly and I was not doing what I got into radio to do. I've said a hundred times that I went from being DJ to being an accountant and that's not me. I got into radio to be on air and to have that fun. And now I went to the dark side of the radio station and was doing sales and management and engineering crap and all just everything. And then to make matters I thought I was making him better. I'm not sure if I did. But about a year and a half after they made me the general manager, the owner of the company called me. He's like, hey, Steve, you know, you've been doing this for a little over a year. Sales are up. You got rid of our problem employees. Things are looking really good. You've put the station in a position where, where I can sell it now. I'm just like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. Like, I cannot <laughs> go through another... Format flip and ownership change and new goals and expectations, blah, 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 blah. So he tells me, he said, listen, when you were sitting in my office in Denver, I kept thinking to myself, that's not the next general manager. That's the next owner of the station. So I was this man. What's his name? Joe Schwartz. He was the owner of Cherry Creek Radio. Not with the company anymore. But um, so he said, is there any way that you could come up with the money to buy the radio station? And for those wow. of you that don't know, radio stations are not cheap. Uh, yeah. Most of them yeah. are millions. This small market one was uh, high six figures is what they were asking. And uh, somebody had taught me years ago, fake it till you make it. So he said, could you put together that kind of money? I said, absolutely. I can do that. <laughs> no problem at all. I don't even know I can pay my cable bill next month. But yeah, <laughs> let me come up with $800,000. Yeah. So I then went on this expedition for months stalling these people. They would, how's it going? Oh, I got one investor on the line, but no, no, they just bought out. Like, I, I stalled them for, I don't know, five or six months. And finally, it got down to a point where I was legitimately getting investors on board. I was trying to make it work. And I did the whole going to the bank for a loan, and they laughed me out of there like they do with every small business. And one investor fell through, another came, blah, blah, blah. And so finally, I called them and I said, listen, you want like 800 grand for this place. I've only been able to come up with roughly half of that. So I'm really sorry, but I can't buy your radio station. And Joe Schwartz said, listen, Steve, how about I'm your bank? I'll give you the other 400000 We'll mortgage it. Like buying a house. You give me uh, you know, a deposit, I'll pay the rest. You pay me back every year. So people always think I'm rich because I bought a radio station, which cannot be further from the truth. It's like buying a house. I came up with a a six-figure down payment, and then I mortgaged my life for eternity to pay back the station. So I got rid of the stress of having a corporate office hanging over me, uh, and I took back control, which is why I did it for me, for Nick, for the whole crew here. But I traded one set of stress for another because somebody once told me, you don't know the stress of ownership until you have signed the, the front of the paycheck. Yeah. Everyone mm. signs the back of their own paycheck until you sign yeah. the front of one. You don't freaking know how much stress goes into making payroll every two weeks and to keeping the lights on. FCC compliances, state and federal. I mean, we're in, it was a freaking nightmare. ASCAP. I mean, there's so many elements to yes. And especially like for this radio station, you actually purchase two radio stations, one yeah. of which is all syndicated programming which mm-hmm. is a headache in and of itself you know yeah so, the news uh, talk station i was doing the morning show on which i gave up when i became gm so yeah right no and i uh, t- will tell you though speaking of the uh, conservative talk station that at rush limbaugh the first thing i did as the new owner was to fire rush limbaugh and oh, good. it was a badge of honor i did not actually do it for po- uh, politics that was a 
you know, sort of side guilty pleasure that I got to fire Rush. Our station, KOWL, was one of his original affiliates because we're near Sacramento, and that's where Rush started his radio career. So we were one of the first affiliates. And obviously I hated Rush, but he was a big name. The problem was Rush Limbaugh was one of the few talk shows that the radio station had to pay for. So we were writing him a check every month. Most talk shows that you guys hear on any local radio station, it's a barter, meaning uh, they give you a certain amount of commercial airtime per hour that you can sell to your local advertisers, and then they get the rest of the commercial airtime. So they give you the show for free, basically. But He required then, both. Right? Say that again? He required both. Yeah, you uh, had to give him the barter time, too. But then above yeah. and beyond that, you had to write him a check. And also every week, I would get an email from national advertisers saying, do not put me on the Rush Limbaugh show. And I had local advertisers that said, do not put me on the Rush Limbaugh show. He's too right. controversial. Even if I'm conservative, my, my customers may not be. So yeah. I'm sitting here going, okay, so if any of my other DJs you know, got people, were, were repelling advertisers. If somebody every week emailed me and said, don't put me on the Nick Reynolds show, I can't keep paying Nick Reynolds to repel advertisers. Like nah, I said, I'm trying would, to keep though. the lights on. Well, no for you. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so it made, it made no sense to keep Rush Limbaugh. So I fired him. And I replaced him, though, with another conservative because I was not trying to play politics. I actually balanced the station out. I, I added liberals. I kept conservatives. I added financial shows. Like, I tried to balance the spectrum, making it easier for advertisers. That way, if, if you don't want to be on one show, tell them, hey, I'm on Rush, but I'm also on the, you know, the liberal show, too. So... I balanced the whole thing out. But, yes, it was a guilty pleasure to be somebody that For was sure. able to fire Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> yeah. And it made the trades. It was a big national story. Rush Limbaugh loses original affiliate. And so, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was kind of fun, I guess. To, to fire it was Rush. a good feeling, dude. I remember the day you did it. I was like, fuck yes, dude. Yeah. Goodbye. Now, now see, yeah. when, when you when you did that, did you get a lot of pushback from the the locals who were regular listeners of KUWL? Were they angry that you, that you had gotten rid of uh, Limbaugh? Yes. You. Um, but I replaced him with, uh, I want to say it was Hugh Hewitt. It was another conservative. And so oh. I told them, like, just give the new guy a chance. And honestly, at first, there was a big freak out. Lots of calls. They tried to boycott the station. And I just ignored it. And it all went away. And uh, never heard anything else about it. And the listeners well, seemed to take to the new guy just fine. You know, I'm, I'm sure Nikki knows that name very well. Don't you, Nikki? Hugh Hewitt? Yes. Yes, of course I do. Yeah. Does he, he know why? What, what happened there? <laughs> Tell him, dude. Show me no, on the doll so, where he touched you. No, no, <laughs> no Hugh, Hugh Hewitt was one of uh, Nick's wife's law professors. Yeah. At, oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. At, yeah at that guy's got a college and, degree. That's hard to believe. Oh, yeah. He's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, he's a lawyer. And also, uh, and while we're throwing out big names that were my wife's professors in law school, uh, John Eastman. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, who is going down in fucking flames right now. Yes. You know who he is. And uh, he got all riled up by the Trump campaign and decided to do a bunch of really illegal shit. And yeah, you know he what? Was the, he's the White House counsel, or was for Trump, right? No, 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 no. That was Pat Cipollone. Yeah. So well, he had like 20 lawyers. Which one was Eastman? No, so Eastman didn't, was not technically a White House lawyer. What it is, is is Eastman was an advisor, quote unquote. He's the one that came to Trump with the independent state electors theory, yes. which was based, which was basically that 
that uh, that each individual state could ignore the will of their voters and put forth their their, their own slate of electors. Oh, so yeah, even yeah, though yeah. even though me as a candidate, I won all the votes in that state, the state could say, oh, no, 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 we know better. These other right. people are going to represent us. So, so he Eastman, went to law school. He just didn't pay attention. Yeah, he was. Oh, no. He taught at a law school. He was a professor, dude. He was my wife's professor. He How can you be them. a law school professor and think that anything he's done recently was even remotely legal, let alone ethical? Dude, I'll well, tell but- you what. So on the date of the insurrection, he was up on that stage before or after Trump. I can't remember, but he was telling the whole crowd why it was right that we go fight to take over the Capitol and everything else. And uh, he was in cahoots big time with Trump and Rudy Giuliani. And uh, on his way out, he was like, uh, hey, one of those, you think I can get one of those pardons you were talking about? I mean, uh, does Rachel get a refund on his class? (laughs) Yeah, she should. I mean, everybody who ever took any class from him, but it was an interesting conversation to hear like, uh, obviously, on Facebook, she's friends with a lot of people that she went to law school with. Yeah. And a lot I'm of sure these people. really proud. The, the, I mean, they're all like, can you believe that Professor Eastman was <laughs> a part of this whole thing? And what? start recounting, like, some of the stuff that happened in his classroom and stuff like that. And they were like, we knew that he had a little crazy side to him, but uh, he was a uh, seeker of justice through law and everything like it makes no sense well, so but but you know what as crazy as you guys may say that this is and it is it's actually uh, it's actually something that a lot of conservative law people are actually have embracing and they actually think that there's a constitutional uh, right for states to be able to do that as a matter of fact coming up in the next uh, supreme court session uh, in september in the fall they're actually going to hear a case in north carolina that tests that theory as to whether uh, the federal government should have any sort of say over even federal elections in states. Wow. So the, what, what they're saying is that the independent state electors um, thought is, is that, that that's the way that the founders, quote unquote, wanted everything to be. Now, wow. let's keep let's keep yeah, in sure. mind. But let's keep in mind. I think they got away are, from monarchies and kings and all that. But go ahead. No, but 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 here's the thing, though. <laughs> Steve, do you know what the average age was of the founders of this country when they wrote the Constitution? 34. 22. 25. 25 25 years old. Mm. So now all these conservatives that keep, uh, you know, talking about how great the founders were, but yet they're the first person to say it, tell a 25-year-old to shut the hell up and you you have no life experience. You don't know what you're talking about. But yet you're there talking about these guys who were educated over 240 years ago and and you're saying that these are the guys that you're holding up as like the the paragons of democracy? Yeah, you know what I mean. So I, t- I talked to a, a real lawyer and I asked him his opinion on John Eastman's uh, latest speech on that topic. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. At no point in yeah. your rambling, incoherent response yeah. were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. I Everyone think that we in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. That's very true. I think we've got another That's reviewer of his uh, of his uh, perspective. Oh, really? It's an abomination! It's an abomination! It's an abomination! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! All right, we're getting on to current events now. Yeah. All right. 
And right there is where I'm going to cut this off for now. Hey, it's me, Steve, after the fact. Uh, That show's been recorded. We continue to talk for another two and a half hours. So we decided to split this whole thing into two different episodes. So check out episode two, already posted. Find out which one of us has a child that we never knew about. Whose ex is dating a guy on parole for murder? And whose relationship has gone completely off the rails? All of that and a whole lot more awaits you in episode two of The Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. Thanks for listening. Check us out on social media and help spread the good word. For now, peace, peace. This is The Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve.